This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped just launched new products to keep you smelling amazing this holiday season, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give yourself or your loved ones the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and jingle balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code LASERTIME for 20% off plus free shipping. Martin Lawrence goes medieval, Martin Scorsese makes one for the kids, and a new generation meets the Addams Family and the Muppets this week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey, a phrase I've always hated until I had to say it every week, <laughs> across three decades. Uh, in pop culture history, this is that get it thirty twenty ten. We're going back thirty twenty and ten years ago. Music, television, movies, video games, and a little bit of news, and occasionally some more. I have a weird clothing, uh, <laughs> weird clothing fact for this episode. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who is with me. I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm like any modern woman who's just trying to have it all. I just wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. <laughs> and. I need six eggs. It's me, Sarah. <laughs> These are references to what we'll be talking about November 19th to the 25th in 1991, 2001, and 2011. That is the window from which I'm asking you to open three portals and get ready to travel back 30, 20, and 10 years back in time. Uh, and I, I don't know why the week I was preparing for this was kind of on the worst side of weeks I've ever had, but the entertainment here made me the happiest of almost any show we've ever prepared for. This week is so <laughs> just joy inducing. Like except for the middle. Almost, <laughs> except for the middle. Uh, <laughs> but on both ends we have some just absolute just heartwarming delights. Fun, delightful yeah. entertainment. It's a weird balance of wonderful family entertainment. And then there's a bunch of indie movies that are about, like, tempestuous affairs. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, well, it's a different kind of fun, I, I guess. I would also say <laughs> a little a little mix of nostalgia and oh, self-referential entertainment. And, uh, yeah, it's just been – in a good way, And I, I, I think. Yeah, I just – I was moved to happy tears so many times recording. And in none of these movies I feel like I'd ever put in, like, my top ten. But – I just had a blast rewatching all this again. It just made me love this, the format of the show. Hopefully you do too. Hopefully you're someone like Teddy Rossi, a patron over at patreon.com slash laser time. Become an executive producer or just give us five bucks. We would appreciate it. Keep the show going. Supports this show, Video Apocalypse, Laser Time, and more. Uh, we'll try and give you some bonus stuff, including a classic corner version of this show and a look at all the games that came out 30 and 20, 10 years ago. We'll go further in depth then. Anyway, 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 anyway. Oh, 30, 20, 10. November 19th to the 25th. You want to start in 1991? We ready? Yeah, let's do yeah. that. Oh, we're going to start on a big bummer note, though. Yes. Mm. Well, I, But this is exactly how I remember it. There's a lot of things happening this week in my little kid brain. I'm definitely going to one of these movies and excited about it, but I'm, I'm just becoming aware of a movie outside of cartoon <laughs> films my parents take me to. And that includes becoming aware of who Freddie Mercury is this week. I had never heard a Queen song at oh. 10 years 10 11 years old. You poor child. I didn't have a, I didn't have my own radio and um until Wayne's World came out, I never heard Bohemian Rhapsody. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's true for a lot of people. Me too, mm-hmm. and, and I don't, I don't understand it because I, I have to imagine my dad was listening to classic. He was listening to NPR, and it, when's when was Wayne's World? Ninety two. Ninety two. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like spring well, ninety two. I think there so. You go then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know how well they lined up because only recently Brian May confirmed Freddie Mercury saw the Bohemian Rhapsody scene in Wayne's World oh, and yay. liked it. Oh. And, and I don't even think Mike Myers had any idea that happened. He didn't because this week Freddie Mercury announces he has AIDS and dies 24 hours later at 45. Yeah, yeah just 45. There had been plenty of rumors. Obviously, I, you know, he got diagnosed in 87, kept it very quiet because... It freaked people out so bad back then. And he was always a very private person in general. And he releases a statement about all the tabloids and everything saying like, yes, I have AIDS, but I'm a very private person. I'm not doing interviews. Please leave me alone. Please. You know, out of respect for me and my family. And he stopped taking all his medications a couple of days before that. He's like, I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm holding on by a thread. And uh, yeah, he passed away from pneumonia. Oh. And again, with the... the, the... Easy A, Easy E went kind of the same way. Like, mm-hmm. made an announcement, dead within the week, and yep. never got to publicly see him again. But I was aware of AIDS at this age, but it, it did seem like a death sentence, and people would just disappear and then die. And that's what I associated the disease with. So, yeah. And he, he filmed a video in June 91. Really? And you, you can see it comes out later, and you can see he's pretty gaunt. But I mean, he always was, he always had a really skinny face anyway. So yeah, you can't, it's not like you can look and be like, oh yeah, that guy's got no time left. Yeah. That's how AIDS works. It fucking sucks. Really does. And uh, yeah, I I literally, I remember hearing, this is one of these, like, I remember where I was things because I bought a ticket for the number one movie at the box office this week and I had half an hour to kill and I was in a store and it came over the, the radio was playing in the store Hmm. and they announced that he passed away and I was like, Motherfucker! Wow! Wow! It's like we just heard he was sick. We literally just heard he was sick. And now, and now because of what I said, I, I want to go back and look. Like, what did, did they stop playing Queen because of like the AIDS Gay Association on the radio or anything like that? Because I don't I remember don't ever so. hearing it ever. It's so distinctive. Queen? Huh? You don't remember ever hearing Queen until on the radio? Wayne's World. Oh. And like I remember I could tell you what the Beach Boys sounded like and I could tell you what the Beatles sounded like and I could tell you what Led Zeppelin sounded like but I had never heard a Queen song anywhere after no, after they were this. doing We Will Rock You in Oh that is very I true. That, <laughs> that is very true. I just didn't yeah. know. Oh yeah, yeah that were, that, is... that was huge for sports. Yeah. Yeah. Which but, I was I mean, watching. You kind of like compare them to like Aerosmith. There you go. Probably a good comparison. It's like they were still together. They were just in a fallow period. You know, they were bigger in the seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. and you know they're just kind of not in style anymore. Mm. You know, okay. no one's really paying attention to the new stuff. It's just it's, so, I just man. I'm curious if there's anything nefarious about it because when I do see the size of Queen's audiences and shit like that and like how many albums they sold. Like this band was fucking huge and it, mm-hmm. for me to be unaware of it for 10 years feels strange. Moving on. Wow. Hard pivot <laughs> to what I teased earlier. Levi Strauss is going to make an astonishing debut this week. Coyote Brown Denim. I don't <laughs> know if it's the first time they've ever made brown jeans, but they are promising these jeans will not fade but grow richer in color over time. For a limited time, get your coyote brown denim and... No, never. <laughs> what is this? Pants poopers only? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. Uh, like, How is it going to get richer over time? Your habitual sharters, your people with Crohn's disease, they're going to leave these... <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know, because I, I feel like, really, brown pants seems like their heyday was the 70s. Holy shit, brown <laughs> pants were yeah. everywhere. And generally in the corduroy fashion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A lot of corduroy. Mm-hmm. Bring okay. it back. Yeah, I, I Googled this very briefly, and they're like, it's dye-free, and all, and like, wow, how did you do that? And it's just like, yeah, I, don't see, I, I haven't seen a guy in brown jeans, but I also don't rustle steer, so I don't know. If you're wearing your blue jeans correctly, they will end up kind of a tan color. There you go. There you go. Or like mine, split in the crotch every time. Uh, what the hell, Old Navy? Tired Your of shopping you. Worn as thin as parchment. Oh, my. <laughs> Man, this is yeah, that reminds me. This this week is the twentieth uh, anniversary of the demise of my Gap. Um, it is. It's been <laughs> gone Your for so, gap? yes. It's been gone for so very long. You can laugh out loud, Sarah. You don't have to do it silently. Um, mo- <laughs> I'm just imagining your current body with like SpongeBob legs. <laughs> okay, moving into movies of 1991. This this is going to get crazy, folks. And not even with Close My Eyes, a movie with Alan Rickman, Cl- Clive Owen in a movie in 1991. Yeah, yeah we got Bebe Clive Owen and Saskia Reeves uh, starting the theme of tempestuous affairs. Ooh. Only this time it's extra fucked up because Clive Owen and Saskia Reeves are like estranged siblings. And then she marries Alan Rickman. So Clive Owen is now cucking Alan Rickman. And all the reviews were like, well, that was disturbing, but pretty good. Gosh, these actors are really good at the psychodrama stuff. And it's like, okay, you're you're creeping me out, though. And then continuing on kind of with the theme, uh, Double Life of Veronique comes out this week with Irene Jacob and Vadislav Kalowski. I was going to make Chris try to save Vladislav. I'm starving. I could really kill some Vadislav. And I was thinking, all right, let's see how this goes. <laughs> no, not yeah. doing it. And I definitely wouldn't have spelled, uh, pronounced Irene like that either. No, it's Irene. She's she's French. Irene Jacob, not Irene Jacob. Uh, this is sure. one of the best movies of the year. It's Christoph Kislovsky. Before, oh. after he's done the Decalogue, but before he does the Trois Color trilogy, like ah, the film that I've heard of. The art film people know what I'm talking about. Okay, Christoph Kislovsky is a great Polish filmmaker, and this is. This like weird, very dreamlike. It's a very kind of David Lynchy movie in its dreamlike quality, and that it's about these two women, one named Veronique, who's French, and one named Veronica, who's Polish, and they maybe are like the same person, hmm. but they're like connected in some way, and they like they pass each other just briefly. They see each other, and then one of them dies, and the other one kind of goes through a crisis and doesn't know why, and it might be that she's connected to this other person. Yeah, it's it's just cool. It's just a cool ass movie. It's like takes its time. It's pretty slow and just moody. But yeah, Double Life of Veronique is it. Yeah, I'd say if you if you like Mulholland Drive and you want like a European version. Boom. Yeah, give it a shot. Why not? Double Life of Veronique. Man, I watched Trocolor. Mm-hmm. I watched that like years and years and years ago. Because that's Juliet Binoche, right? In blue, yeah. In blue. That's blue's the most famous one, right? I feel like. Blue or red. I'm a yeah. white man myself. Exactly. <laughs> I know y'all. <you're. laughs> I made two good references there. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now let's get into, so that was the European stuff. So let's get into, <gasps> we're going to call this, what the fuck were you thinking? Uh, part one. Yeah. Because yeah. we have three family films going up against each other. Two of them are going to succeed fantastically. And one of them is a Steven Spielberg film. And going to kill a, f- a potential franchise that, that felt like a franchise to me back then. Yeah, it and, seemed like there's, and technically it is a franchise because mm-hmm. there's like 
two or three more that went direct to VHS. Yeah, they're like they're like and a whole I, area in a theme park. That that I that, I think that was based on more movies coming out. What you're talking mm-hmm. about, Daniel, I think are episodes of a failed TV project. So like mm. th- this because the first one is absolutely grand. If you've been a fan of this show for a while, we talked about it in our first year. And mm-hmm. that is what most people attribute the failure to, a film where uh, a person, let's call him Don Bluth, leaves Disney, makes a movie, puts it up against Disney's release, and kicks the shit out of them, seemingly leading to like a new era of uh, renaissance of animation, of different voices in animation, and companies in animation. And the same week it happens again, six years later, and it seems like the people who love the first one are now teenagers and you waited too long but animation takes a while i get it amy irving john cleese and i believe the final role of jimmy stewart yep also philip glasser Nehemiah persoff dom deluise big part of dom deluise's tiger reprising his role uh an american tale fievel goes west holiday season where can a cat become a dog a dog where can an ordinary girl become a star? So you left behind. Where can a little mouse become a big hero? You saved my life. I'll never forget this kid. In the magical new holiday adventure. He's come back to us. Steven Spielberg presents An American Tale. Bible Goes West. Rated G. Oh, man. Boy, is this disappointing. Okay, first of all, let's get it out of the way. This is not a Don Luth film. I have always wanted to know what happened to Steven Spielberg and Don Bluth. And apparently, whatever it was, happened on this film. They make American Tale Land Before Time and sever ties creatively and never rejoin one another. And also, both kind of fail out of the animated industry like without one another. I I find their story very interesting. I mean, it's smart what Spielberg's doing, at least, to to make another animated film is smart because he's basically created a little studio to do the animation for Roger Rabbit. So keep them going. Keep, keep those going. guys working. And so Steven and Spielberg is, is like, almost single-handedly responsible for the resurrection of animation with Roger Rabbit and yeah. continuing to keep it going with different animated projects on television and movies. He deserves a ton of credit for that. He really does. And I thought the reason why they didn't return to this for so long is Spielberg's a, di- a busy guy. Up until yeah. this point, he never worked on a sequel to one of his own projects. Never. Wouldn't work on a Jaws movie. A Jaws 2, 3. Nothing yeah. like that. So, oh man, the first American Tale... It's so charming. Mm-hmm. There's stuff for kids and grown-ups. I think that's a big part of the selling. How how it it can stick with you. Mm-hmm. This is aimed at much smaller children, yeah. and that doesn't help. That like Chris said, it's been five six years, guys. Uh, your original audience is a bit grown, and this is kind of for babies. Mm-hmm. It also uh, is is interesting in that I don't know. Were you saying something about Don Bluth's animation style and All Dogs Go to Heaven, Sarah? It just feels like a like a really good nightmare sometimes. Yes. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because I, I always imagine in my head what you're seeing is Don Bluth and the people he took with him are people who Disney used to make lavish animation but are dying to do things that are very un-Disney. So please, let's have these dogs smoke. Let's have these cats swallow a pizza in one bite. Kind of grotesque things. And uh, but, but the first American Tale is just very much, I think, per Spielberg, a Disney-esque film. Whereas this yeah. doesn't look that way anymore. It's, it loses all its Disney heat. I, I don't know what people mean when they say it looks like a Warner Brothers project. I'm like, what are you talking about? Iron Giant? Because that ain't out yet. I don't know what an animated Warner Brothers movie looks like at this point. But it, does, yeah. it doesn't It does look 
like a Disney movie anymore. It looks, it, it does move with a more frantic cartoon like pace that's less real than um, the original American tale. So if, in that respect, I sort of respect it and it makes it look very strange if you watch them back to back. They look mm. very different. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know. It was just a big pile of I don't know. It's like yeah. it, it it was it was interesting because the first American tale is about the immigrant experience. And this is a little bit still about that, you know, that they're basically all these immigrant communities are lured out west by a con man and then exploited. And it's like, well, there's somewhere you could go with this. But then it's like and then he's going to kill everybody, which is like not pretty sure heavy. That's kind of heavy. And I'm not really sure where you're going with this. And the um, first time I heard an allusion to Wiley Wyatt, Wyatt Earp with Wiley right. Burp. Wiley Burp. Yeah. Wiley Burp. James Stewart is old. Yeah. Old. Extremely old. old. But yeah, he's he's pretty dang charming. Mm-hmm. I do kind of wish he'd done more voice work. Yeah. Just listening to this. And yeah, John Cleese is the bad guy and he's a lot of fun. I like to imagine it's a cat that's owned by his character in uh, Silverado. It, Native Americans do pop up and are treated slightly better than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was I was like really good like the second they show up and they they have to do the thing that was like old in the 40s with the like they think I'm some sort of god oh I hate it when the Ewoks do it I hate it when anybody does that it's so old it's only okay when the chipmunks do it chipmunk god adventure. damn it yeah it's great yeah but then they do use like rocket launchers to take down a hawk that was pretty sweet <laughs> Because, sure, why not? Also, it is barely a movie. It is like 72 minutes long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like... It... Well, that explains probably why I watched it in uh, elementary school so much. <laughs> <laughs> because I just have the vaguest of memories of this movie, even less so than the original American Tale. And it makes sense because I'm five years old right now in 1991, or I guess I'm six. Uh, so it would have come up, you know. But honestly, all memories of American Tale, Five Goes West, just have been wiped out my brain because of the next movie oh yeah and that's like, uh, that's oh american tale going head to head with great mouse detectives like okay fair and enough I, I don't know what it, i had i didn't own the american tale vhs i had the soundtrack on vinyl and that by that i mean two or three animated lines and just the score in the songs mm. and i listen to it all the time i i really do enjoy that movie and what i really oh I don't have another comparison other than like wrestling right now where you're seeing a smaller company going up against the WWE and you're kind of like rooting for the smaller company and occasionally they beat him in the ratings. You're like, yes, why doesn't this happen all the time? Why can't there be two giants that go up against one another and they change places in the ratings instead of obliterating one another from existence? Why can't we have more than one? And if you're, if you're watching animation like that right now, this is also an exciting time. Six years later, after Don Bluth kicked the shit out of his former company, his former company comes back and innovates in a way I don't think anybody was expecting because it's not really entirely innovative. It's just like that frozen shit, like fall back on your laurels, rethink of what you do and how can you make it special to a different generation. Exactly. It, do what you do best yeah. and do it as well as you fucking can and just crush everyone in your path. Uh, uh, Angela Lansbury, Jerry Orbach, and who could forget celebrities like Robbie Benson and Paige O'Hare? I do like Disney casting like singers and people. Absolutely. I don't know. Hey, hey, hey back to that, please. Uh, speaking for Generation X, Robbie Benson is the guy from Ice Castles, okay? Oh. <laughs> Wait, we was, love him. I was thinking of Ice Pirates. Damn it. No, hmm. he was looking through the eyes of love. He took that figure skater who went blind and helped her skate again. All right, go, Robbie. Um, 
but yeah, it's the weirdest cast. Like no one was thinking of freaking Robbie Benson in nineteen ninety. Yeah, they're always and he does great. Cast their leads great, and this is I don't know I don't even know where the I stand with this, ladies and gentlemen. Nineteen ninety one's Beauty and the Beast from Walt Disney Pictures. She was a young girl who dreamed of romance. I want adventure in the great white somewhere. He was a prince cursed to live inside the body of a beast. She'll never see me as anything but a monster. But when she looked into his heart, she found the man of her dreams. It's Disney's all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture, Beauty and the Beast, rated G. Why did I get all mushy at that? Fucking love this movie! I... I... I spent a lot, a lot of time not liking it, just because as a little kid, it felt very maudlin and stuffy. In, well, you're dumb because hold it's on, so good. in in between sandwiched in between the movies Disney had made back then, because like Little Mermaid, I fell head over heels for, and like the idea of making a movie underwater, I'm just not thinking this as a little kid. Like how fucking novel this is great, like an undersea <laughs> world and a movie, cool. And this is just like two characters in an old castle for most of the movie. You cannot design a more baby Sarah movie. A, (laughs) takes place in France. At this point, I was fully obsessed with France as a six-year-old because my aunt had given me the soundtrack to Phantom of the Opera. So I was (laughs) fully obsessed with France at this point. Gaston is French? What? The whole thing. Then, like, the main, the princess is a girl who reads all the time and is running out of books constantly. Again, like, at six years old, <laughs> could not be a better, like, Disney princess and, and, for and baby Sarah. has no, neither red nor um, blonde hair, so probably looks like the majority of white women in the country. I mean, brown a brown-haired girl, like, she's not, you know, she's just a reader, and that's kind of, like, her main thing. I mean, I was a little kid at school that the teacher called my parents and was like, Sarah is not playing during recess she's just reading her book (laughs) this was this movie spoke to me so hard not to mention an entire musical number about food with dancing (laughs) food that looks amazing (laughs) animated even the gray stuff looks delicious which i have eaten i have eaten at uh disney world who have have built a recreation of this ballroom you can eat in and it's amazing to brag brag you've been there more recently Uh, but yeah, I just, I love the music. A couple of years ago, I was with some friends and a girlfriend, she threw on the soundtrack in the car and I started singing the words like it was coming out of me and I didn't even realize I knew all the <laughs> words so deeply. Like, I need six eggs. That's too expensive. Like, what is happening to me? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I think, I think there's a part of me that might hate the songs. But what? I, what? hold on, What's hold on. I just don't like the as much as the others, but I love the musical numbers. I don't have a favorite musical number because all the numbers in this are fantastic. The Wait, way I'm you're sorry, introduced. You hate the songs, but you love the musical numbers. I don't understand. They're dumb by the numbers musical songs, but like inter- introducing you to a town, introducing you to the staff, introducing you to yeah. Belle, they do fantastic jobs. They're great, great oh. visual musical numbers. Oh, yeah. As I mean, this is the last, unfortunately, collaboration, full collaboration with Mm -hmm. Mencken and Ashman, because we talked about Howard Ashman passed away in March again, AIDS. And they know musical formats really well. And so I hadn't watched this for probably 28 years. It's like I liked it and it's fine. And I just kind of forgot about it. I know it's everyone else's favorite, but I was just like, it's fine. And I rewatched it. And that opening number, Bell, is so really great. Well, constructed Mm -hmm. because it it covers a lot of ground it it gives you the time the place 
the main character and what she wants from life. Yeah, I want in, songs. Just in one song. <laughs> Usually those are separate songs. Yeah. And let's be honest, many times, most of the time, probably vast majority of the time for Disney movies, the villain song is the best song in yeah. the soundtrack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gaston is right up there. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's so good. <laughs> Having it being sung from his minion like perspective and like lauding him and talking about all these things that are supposed to be so great about him that make other people fall in love with Gaston and yet Belle is repulsed by it. I just, I love that whole the whole setup of it. Who doesn't love a man whose every last inch of him is covered with her? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Which, by the way, the beast is every actually yeah. every last inch. Yeah. Sorry, bitch. Like, he uses <laughs> antlers in all of his decorating. <laughs> yeah, I, now I watch this about once a year. I own it physically on a 4K Blu-ray. I think it's stunning. I've seen this movie, I would say, the most times in a theatrical environment in the most interesting ways. I've seen it out. I've seen it in Union Square. I've seen it in 3D. I've seen it in IMAX. I saw it in the theater. I've seen it at little children's matinees. I've seen this movie a lot. It's symbolic, I think, of of the kind of movie Disney might make forever if they can figure out a way to make this old story feel modern every 20 years. And Mm -hmm. it looks like with Frozen, they did. They, they did figure yeah. out a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I also, exactly. I love right now in 1991, we are writing the second, second, maybe third. You'd have to help me on that, Diana. Angela Lansbury Crest. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? We've got Murder Shiro going on. This introduced little kids to who Angela Lansbury No, is. it didn't. 20 years ago, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, <laughs> which she's also, it's True. unbelievable. Good point. <laughs> what yeah, this? Bedknobs and Broomsticks is not part of my. Repertoire. This ageless this good witch, whoever, whatever she, whatever mushroom, magic mushroom she's eaten, whatever curse she has, what she played Frank Sinatra's mother years ago. Yeah, I know. sixty years ago. <laughs> Wild. And, right, yeah. and now at night when Sam and I go to bed, we watch an episode of Murder She Wrote before it's we go to bed. Ridiculous. By the way, I highly recommend it. It's great. Ah, no, it definitely introduced kids to Jerry Orbach and David Ogden Steyer. Absolutely. So very happy absolutely and some of my favorite designs because I, I i don't know what at this point was the most famous beauty and the beast tale but i'd seen a ton mm-hmm. uh, to conjure a little memory here you remember that nickelodeon midday show special delivery on the weekends they'd show like some oh, yeah. they'd show you like french or like english versions of fairy tales like one hour animated versions of fairy tales and, and nobody had made a beauty and the beast movie yet and that's why it came down so hard on the live action one who just remade cogsworth and lumiere like no, the whole point of this is to make your own motherfucker. This is a free story. Do something interesting. They made one like character one. gay. That's Give great. them that. I-, I liked the live action one. I thought that was the best out of all of the live I action guess. movies. It just feels like it feels done. too much like Shrek the musical, and I just fucking hate it. Right. I just don't get it. It was like, what, what was the point? Yeah. I don't understand. Like, once again, I, look up Mrs. Com- Potts. Hey, <laughs> you like computers because this has some early computer animation in it, which I was expecting to jump out and be really garish. No, and it's integrated very nicely. Like, wow. When Disney I think used it that... looks more garish then. It took because uh, it, stuck out, it would stick out more. They they attempted it previously in the Rescuers Down Under, which is the movie everyone forgets is in between Little Mermaid and this. But mm. they introduced CG in that film, and I'm sure everyone remembers the ballroom sequence and it like it looks extravagant to this day on my yes. television when it pans out and like, whoa, holy shit, that camera move never existed in a, in a cartoon before. And I think that they would show behind the scenes how they animated this yeah. on the Disney Channel regularly because yeah. I remember seeing they were very into showing us all 
look, y'all, we really did something huge with this. Yeah, we're Disney I, Channel. We don't have commercials. We have nonstop plugs for our other shit. Yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff about this more than any other of those animated films from this era. Yeah, but, I mean, just because Disney was just sort of like, well, yeah, dude, I mean, I, the cements that Disney Renaissance, it's happening. Little Mermaid was like, oh, shit, yeah, they can go back to what they're good at and kick mm-hmm. its ass. And then it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is... One of the best reviewed movies of the year. It is the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture mm-hmm. at the Oscars. And I will argue it's kind of still the only one because it was the only one nominated in the field of five. Five, yeah. Since oh. since then, Up got nominated in a field of ten. And Toy Story. Uh, and three. Toy Story 3? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that it's nominated up against Bugsy, JFK, <laughs> and Silence of the Lambs. It's like, what the... It, it, wow. it, and I never, I, I, I'm guessing it didn't have a chance, but it's still like, that's how no. much people fucking like this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. worth liking. It's worth rewatching. If you have Disney Plus, you can watch it in 4K and not mm-hmm. pay the $30 like I did. For- oh, it looks gorgeous, too. That was the yeah. other thing was, yeah, like I said, I have not seen this since it was on VHS. Like, I liked it well enough, but it was, I kind of wrote it off as too princessy because... You know, you could possibly take the message that, like, oh, if a guy's abusing you, you just love him harder. Yeah, Stockholm Syndrome, the movie, and (laughs) and it'll be you can love him into being a good person. It's like, no, no, you can't end abuse that way. I'm sorry, but it was okay. It was a lot. It it was not as bad as I remembered it being. I remembered it as being just like he continues to be a dick, and she goes puts up with it until everything's better, and it's like, oh no, okay, no, he's putting effort in putting effort in yeah i've seen some of that criticism on the internet about that and i do think that it is overblown i think if people went back and revisited the movie it is more nuanced than that a little bit yeah it also brings up some really interesting stuff about i mean she's sacrificing her sacrificing herself for the health of her father you know she offers herself as a prisoner instead of her dad Mm -hmm. and then she gets this like awesome library like (laughs) I don't know. It seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah. The same the same day she's like, I'll be a prisoner for my father. And he's like, no, I live my life. What are you doing? And then she's like, okay, you can stay here, but don't go in the West Wing or I will bite you. And she just immediately goes there and she just immediately starts touching things and fucking around. It's like, yeah, you're not a very good guest, Bill. He's also not a very good she's kidnapper. not technically a guest. Yeah. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. No matter what Lumiere says. Yeah. Uh, oh, that number. My God. I forgot. Just I forgot how good it is in the context of the movie and how well animated it is. Yes. Like I'm just used to hearing the song. I'm not used to seeing the number anymore. No, it's mm-hmm. one of the Ayo! best number. Again, this I think this movie has the best musical numbers. They're not mm-hmm. songs I like to do in karaoke very often for some reason, except for maybe Be Our Guest. I do think that is well, just incredibly fun. Watching Be Our Guest too, you can absolutely see where they they made Be Our Guest and then they said, okay, let's take this up another notch when we get to Never Had a Friend Like Me. Mm. That's and that's it's a, basically a heightened version, right? Of BRS. Yeah. And this, I could, I should say everything. this for next year. Beauty and the Beast is the last time they don't focus on comedy at all in a Disney film. Robin Williams yeah. single handedly changed yes. that, and every animated movie you have seen after Aladdin has has to have at least half comedy, a joke every scene. Whereas yeah, this, right. watching this, it's it's almost strange that it doesn't. There's not yeah. there's there's like the Beast makes one joke. That has like yeah. one laugh moment, and that's it. Yeah, Lumiere's got a joke, and mm. LeFou is brief comedy relief. I mean, he pretty much exists so that Gaston has someone to talk to about mm. what he is planning. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he'd just be monologuing. He's his little guy. Soap opera. Yeah. Yeah, the little guy. He's his little guy. Movies. This movie's great. I, I recommend everybody watch it, especially if you haven't seen the restoration Disney's made. And if you really like the musical numbers, I can't remember what. I think they did it for the Diamond Edition DVD. I think they completed a scrapped musical number uh, eventually oh. that might not be on Disney Plus. So physical media, yay. Yeah, so much better than I remember. I kind of felt like a jerk of <laughs> just playing. Like, eh. I think part of it is that yeah, I love Aladdin so much. That might be my favorite yeah, Disney movie. Some of my so. favorites. And I love I love yeah. the way the, the color palette of Little Mermaid and 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 among other oh, things. See, I love the color palette of Beauty and the Beast. I can see you know, that dark purples, dark blues, slate grays, like all of that. I really love. You forget how diverse yeah. it is if you haven't seen it in a while because the mm-hmm. outside is just looks so amazing, and they go through an entire year of seasons, which isn't typical for Disney films. Mm-hmm. Love that. God, as if we didn't heap yeah. a bunch of praise. So, Not, so, so those so movies. Are... <laughs> but then, oh. well, here's what I really don't understand is why are Disney going up against another family film slash mm-hmm. another family film going up against Disney? Like, okay, you want to have the animated showdown. I don't advise it, but you can do it. <laughs> but then they're going up against another family film. Man, which... I... This is, is so great. One of the first so pop good. culture com- conversations I remember watching my dad and my uncle have. Uncle's younger. Like, can you believe they're making a movie to this stupid fucking thing? He's like, nah, this show was pretty good. And like, you were younger. I was like a teenager. But of course, they both had to watch it because there's three channels. What are you going to do? I remember him saying, the reviews are out of this world. I think we should take the take the kids to see it. Uh, he's like, are you, how can this be good? How can this be good? I remember my dad saying, Dan Ivy, Dan Hedaya. Everyone remembers because this movie. Look at this cast. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This might be the best cast movie we're going to talk about, like ever. And and most of the people, at least two of these people, two or three of these people say these. This is among their top like two or three favorite roles they've ever played because mm-hmm. it's just joyous. Christina Ricci, Christopher Lloyd, Raul Julia, Angelica oh. Houston. It's number one at the box office. Adam's family. Children, what are you doing? I'm going to electrocute you. I said no. Me. Imagine having a mom who listens. Oh, all right. A dad with a good egg. Keep the ball, I have a whole bucket full. And an uncle who returns from the dead. A family you'd be proud to call your own. Adam's family rated PG thirteen. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't remember expecting this to be remembered throughout time when this came out because it was just totally enjoyable. But I loved almost every movie I saw as a kid. Mm-hmm. But this is yeah, special. I, it really, this is. is another one where I'm glad I went back and rewatched it because I remember it being okay, but sort of having some creaky plot issues. Mm-hmm. And they weren't as creaky as I remembered. Who the hell but uh, it... again, some of it, it just, it pales in comparison to the sequel so much to me. Mm. I think I... Adam's Family Values is fucking flawless compared to this. Yeah, I, I won't pretend to be a fan of uh, Charles Adams comic strips on which the TV yep. show is based. I won't pr- pretend to be a fan of the TV show because I was a Monsters guy. Apparently yeah. I'm that old. Okay, so same. I felt yeah. I felt really old thinking about that. But then I, I looked it up and like both those shows were made 16 years before I was born, whereas Friends and Seinfeld are 30 years old and still running on television and kids like them. So yeah, I well, guess it's not I that watched, weird. I mean, I watched The Monsters on Nick and Night. I don't, I don't remember yeah, where I was. I just knew I could watch both of these shows every day if I wanted to somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Monsters and Adam's Family. And I always chose Monsters because they looked weirder. The comic sensibility is what the movie sort of nails. Just this unexplainable, can these characters die? What do they eat, pain? What the fuck? <laughs> 
like all these it's like it's like the, the, a, a family of Oscar the Grouches apparently everything you hate they love and, and as a kid you don't really need to explain that much like yeah they just yeah. they're they're opposites they like but everything that's gross they love each other yeah. so much that's mm. the thing that makes it so special is that you think this family of weird goth people that are like kind of scary in a way and are doing scary things would be scary to each other but they're so loving they're actually loving to like outsiders too it, yeah. it's mm-hmm. just they're just goth they're just like what they like and, and that, that, is that the, was the, the first s- time i had ever seen that the singular joke of the tv that. show is uh, making outsiders feel awkward. That is pretty much what every episode is about. And n- now the only thing that's like awkward, like, man, you sure make a little wanting to fuck your wife a lot in front of your children and her mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've, I've seen a hornier couple in a kid's film in my entire life. Oh, no. Gomez and oh, 100%. Love oh, it. Yeah, a jillion percent. Which is kind of why I always like the Adams, the TV show, a little bit more than the Munsters. Mm-hmm. You know, the Munsters is overall funnier. Mm-hmm. It's just like they are so dedicated to each other. Like, damn, mm-hmm. I wish I had something like that. I love it. Yeah. This kicked around for a while of them trying to make this because we're in like one of those waves of let's remake every old TV show into a movie. But I mean, they, they brought in an A team to do it. Obviously, they pitched it to Tim Burton, mm-hmm. and he was going to do it. And he's like, no. Looking online, a lot of people seem to think Tim Burton directed this, and they are wrong. It's mm-hmm. Levinson, right? Um, no, Barry Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld, my bad. directing job for Barry Sonnenfeld, who is an amazing cinematographer up to this point, doing all the Coen Brothers stuff. Yeah. And it's written by someone who wrote later Nightmare Before Christmas, but Edward Scissorhands also, and the guy who wrote Beetlejuice. So there you go. There's I mean, obviously, yeah, there's, there's the Burton pedigree, but also like... Good call. These are people who did stuff that's already like weird, kind of dark, but overall friendly. Totally in the same lane. Yeah. Yeah. And one one of our, I love that one of our friends. Same hot topic aisle. It seems, it seems just unbelievable to pitch this and make this for kids across generations. And, you know, one of our close friends, his daughter dressed like Wednesday this Halloween uh, from the new one. And it's just like heartwarming to know that like this still works. A little yeah. horror family. Yeah, I haven't seen any of the animated ones. Does anyone? I meant to. I, I, I did not get to. I appreciate them going back to the original cartoon designs. Yeah, because I like the designs of everything. I think that's real neat. And, and I do just want to give tip of the hat to this movie. It is there's obviously some. I'm guessing some CG in it, but there might not be. Actually, it might no, be all matte shit. Think there's any? I think it's yeah. I think it's old fashioned matte processed shots the, the first sequence where thing wakes up you can even see like some of the matting errors on his hand on a larger television screen but thing thing was like a little thing that pop i think thing was a a, a creature hidden in the adams the adams family show who was too yeah, grotesque he, to see and he his just ha- lives in a box and his, ha- his hand. hand would pop out of boxes in different rooms oh, right and this this movie invented the idea that it is this disembodied it's sentient hand, hand and it's just a hand and I love those sequences. I the watching them now, I couldn't stop doing it on my own floor, running like thing, jumping like thing. I don't know. It's the kind of thing like the kid in me attached to once again thirty years later. I loved it. Just, love I, this movie. Yeah, it's just a little. It's, it's an animatronic that's pulling a little red wagon. It's like that's just mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah. I can just watch that all day. Mm-hmm. But the cast is like Cher really wanted that part. That's ooh. I don't know how Angelica and, Houston got it over here. I want that sliding doors situation. And, and that would be pretty interesting, but Angelica Houston, god damn. And just I can't imagine anyone else. And Raul Julia is just, I 
I'm guessing this is what most kids know him for. Yes, that's, that's what I knew him. That's from. what his family yeah. says. They and he had a great career, but it like oh hell yeah, he's it a really, Broadway guy, right? Yeah, yeah, but he was really close to being like a household name before his death. And I think he said this is what starts getting him noticed in public because people who recognize him from Kiss of the Spider Woman or <laughs> like are at least couth enough to not run up to him like oh my god. But a kid is not. Once you're Gomez Adams, kids are going to lose their shit in front of you. And I remember his or an interview with his family saying, like, he was on his way out and he just really loved that. Just Aww. being able to, like, be recognizable to kids and, like, yes, tis I! And probably <laughs> did a bunch of Ral Julia shit that I could never imitate. Yeah. And just Christopher Lloyd is so much fun. And the music. I forgot about the music. Mark mm. Shaman's music is so good in this. I mean, I'm uh, speaking of musicals, he's someone I tend to think of as like, oh, he's good at musicals. He did Hairspray and South Park. Mm-hmm. But he what? has this like lush orchestral score that's just wonderful in this. this yeah. I just I just wanted to listen to it during Halloween. It's, it's a little dirty, it's a little grimy, but not that dirty and it's grimy. So gr- and, the, 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 I was and we're going... moving that camera fast down things. Just yes. whoosh we're yeah. down over here, whoosh we're open here. And I was going I was going into that saying, like, they built that fucking house. That house is like a million dollar facade of the Adams family house. And it is huge. And the camera pans across it like four or five times, kind of a lot to spend on those, those shots, but it is massive that they built that fucking thing. Yeah. It's so worth it. Cause it looks real. It yeah. looks solid. It yeah. doesn't look yeah. like just a set. I mean, you can draw a straight line for, I think a lot of kids, my age, a lot of millennials during this era, straight to us shopping at Hot Topic well into our 30s like I do now because you've got Adam's family. We just had, what, Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice kind mm-hmm. of all kind of in a little cluster, honestly. And I think that this this movie kind of caps off basically the gif of the Dean saying, I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. <laughs> I think for me and for a lot of people my age, this whole like gothy sort of idea that's also based in whimsy that also it's not scary it's not gonna freak your parents out but it's still fun and a little dark and a little weird right were you dressed Mm -hmm. as wednesday this halloween for a second uh it's your wednesday Wednesday esque yeah well and i think that's that's part of it they're not scary they're not technically not serial killers although i could not back that up (laughs) from watching these two movies they're just like like oscar the grouch they're the opposite of what we have to do every day, which mm-hmm. is be nice, not hurt anyone, eat our vegetables. And then that's, I think that's what's so cool about it. It is embracing your opposite, not even yeah. your dark side, just like a side of you that may never exist. So it's, I, I think that's so neat and that it, it mm-hmm. still wor- resonates after all these fuck. This is a two year show. Yeah. And uh, a, a new, what a New York, what is it? What's the magazine? New Yorker cartoon. New Yorker cartoon. Yeah. That like, I, I way the hell back. I barely, even though the opening of the movie, which is, verbatim a new yorker cartoon i think establishes this as a christmas movie that's true it is uh there are carolers there are carolers in the beginning okay so yeah yep that they drop boiling oil on i i Mm -hmm. I don't want to i don't have the heart to tell you that that, adam's family values isn't a thanksgiving movie really but uh you can keep watching on thanksgiving come on well fighting words to diana it's it's yeah it's a summer film (laughs) it is well yes it is at summer camp but they are doing a salute to thanksgiving which makes no sense so if you don't think i don't cook every thanksgiving then put the food down on the table and go i am a turkey eat me (laughs) <laughs> You're wrong, sir. I, I no, don't. I I love Family Values so much more because they hang so much in Christina Ricci, who yeah. right. just knocks everything out of the park. And my that introduction to, to David Crumholtz, who I just oh, love gosh, this movie. Yes. 
Yeah. Little baby David Crumholtz. I love him so, so much. Yeah, I just, I mean, I ended up liking this more. It's still kind of, I still find it a little bit creaky, just generally the plot. That's of, fitting. That, there is uh, you know, almost no plot. The, the, it, well, the plot is, uh, the, there's a fake Uncle Fester. And, and it turns out he's not a fake Uncle Fester, I, which I actually found I out was little Christina Ricci's idea, wow. where she originally was going to turn out that was a fake Uncle Fester, and he just likes being Fester so much he stays with them. And she's mm. like, but that means real Uncle Fester is out there somewhere and is not going to, like, worry the audience. And mm-hmm. they decided, oh, you're right. All right, let's just do this shitty rewrite where, oh, it turns out he was the real Uncle Fester. Well, there's, there's the middle of the movie where they're just doing typical Adams Family stuff. I'm like, does this guy remember about the heist at all? It just seems like he's having a good time being macabre yeah. with his fake relatives. Yeah, so, which I, I like him, the idea that he's not the real Uncle Fester, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they're just that inviting mm-hmm. of like, if you can roll with us, you're family. It's a, it became the new Uncle Fester. It's definitely yeah. a funhouse movie, for sure, where a big part of it is just hanging out in this funhouse. Yeah. But I do have to say, Christina Ricci is really doing the work on your Thanksgiving uh, movies, because if we maintain that Adam's Family Values is a Thanksgiving movie, which I agree with you, Diana, mm-hmm. she's also in another major Thanksgiving movie, which is The Ice Storm. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> God damn. Which I also watched last year for Thanksgiving when it was just me and Sam because we had to quarantine and oof, talk about a fun, uh, some real whiplash there between <laughs> Adam's family values and the ice storm. <laughs> Two great movies. Can I, can I just, I have a couple shout outs that are barely relevant to the movie that yeah. I want to get. Just, I, I find it, I found it shocking to read that like John Aston has outlived almost the entire cast of the Adams Family TV show. Yeah. And the second Gomez and some of the cast of this movie, but mm-hmm. he's still alive and teaching acting. Father of Sean, Bob, Samwise, Toy Soldiers. He's so great on the show. And he's, yeah. he's very complimentary towards this role as Gomez Adams. It's just awesome. And I think if you remember me talking about the video games previously, the Japanese had made it. This has been popular through pop culture for a long time. And that game, Fester's Quest, came out several years ago. So that's just based on a 1964 property, Fester's Quest, one of the weirdest RPGs you'll ever play (laughs) as Uncle Fester. This movie also spawned a pinball game that literally oh. saved the pinball industry. And, and both what? of your faces lit up lit up because I'm guessing oh, you've played I it or seen it. Uh, great. That it bought the pinball industry another like five years or something like that. Wow. It became the most popular pinball machine of all I don't know of all time. I think it was of all time by 1993. And it, it was thought to be a dead industry, but people loved this movie and vicariously its pinball machine. It it bought an entire Sub medium, <laughs> a, a new lease on life, and we still have pinball machines. If you look at what the pinball industry was doing before the Adams Family machine, it was almost done. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have all the stats on this, but it's a really, yeah. really fun story. I I wonder how the T two machine fits in there too, because that's also oh, an especially that. good pinball machine. Those are like the last n- new properties that were pinball machines that I was like, oh, this I is a good that one. one. And, and I I believe pinball machines are super expensive to buy. But Adam's family is like right in the middle of like, it's one of the best and so many were made. So you can find it at a baby bear porch price. If, <laughs> if you're mm-hmm. actually looking for a pinball machine, which I could never dream of doing, patreon.com slash laser time. I love this movie. I, I had, I usually watch the second one if I have a choice before this one. And I'm glad I yep. didn't do that. Because from 
the cinematography, the set decoration, all the perform. Angelica Houston has never looked hotter, mm-hmm. uh, like just like undeniably hot. Which, no offense, I just don't normally see. Even back then, didn't see her in roles like that. But like, whoo, good, good lord, girl. I mean, I know that outfit hurts, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's because she's got that Joan Crawford lighting. Yeah. That makes everyone look good when you oh, she's got, she's light got a, across your eyes. A metal corset, and they're pulling her eyes up behind her ears. She's got a lot going on, but Morticia is a first crush of every nerdy kid, as it was for me, until the next movie when it was just Christina Ricci. Yeah. Please don't give me any shit. I was younger than all these people. I don't want to hear about it. Watch this movie. I think all three movies we talked about are recommended. Moving into television, 1991, November 19th to the 25th. This is one of the few, the only episode of Seinfeld I have represented on my Instagram for this scene Sarah has highlighted. It's yeah, a conceptual is- thing. Not only did Seinfeld not do, I'm shocked it made it on the air on NBC in 1991. Agree. Agree. They yes. couldn't say the word this, masturbate. This is the episode called The Nose Job. But most people remember it from, yeah, this is the first, probably only time. It's really, the only time. We see a sort of fantasy sequence or a thought bubble sort of sequence in Seinfeld where his penis is playing against his brain in chess. And yes, A, it's it's incredibly incongruous for Seinfeld, like a show that is both absurd and incredibly grounded, but does not really go off on flights of fancy. Yeah. And B shockingly lewd in a lot of ways like that, i that, i'm highlighting it because i hate it so much. that outfit I jerry jerry seinfeld's in a skin tight pink outfit with a world war one helmet also painted pink yeah and uh <laughs> <laughs> and de- delivering <laughs> ideas of pure id towards his brain it's a surreal moment seinfeld usually doesn't have surreal moments they don't have family guy style cutaways but yeah this is jerry versus his own dick i have never been so repulsed by someone mentally and so attracted to them physically at the same time it's like my brain is facing my penis in a chess game (laughs) what do you say we play one for all the marbles oh brain what are you doing you cannot beat me do you have any idea who you're dealing with forget about it i can't take her anymore I hate reading her stupid little acting scenes. Oh, so what? So you read from a little play. You can't put up with that for an hour to make me happy? You're so selfish. Give me one hour. Then I will take over. You will not have to think for the rest of the night. What about tomorrow morning? Do you have any idea what that's like for me? Do you care? No, you don't care. So long as you get to do whatever it is you do. Disgust me. Oh, go read a book. Yeah. There are also ghosts. Backstory. The backstory is that Jerry's dating an actress who he finds to be just absolutely reprehensible intellectually, but he's so incredibly attracted to her physically. Oh, man. This might be my first live episode of Saturday Night Live. I had seen, yeah, I'd seen reruns. I'd seen reruns on Nick at Night and, you know, Conehead, Steve Martin, watching it with my parents. Teehee, all good fun. Not a lot to watch on a weekday night when you have very, very basic cable. But I remember I'm starting to spend the night at friends' houses. And we're staying up all night. Some of them have TVs in their room. This case, they had a divorced dad who, like, left us, like, eight VHSs from movie gallery, six pizzas, and I never saw him for the rest of the weekend. Mm. Like, I don't know (laughs) where he went, whether it was in the house or out of it. I I remember watching a lot of shows get canceled around this time, but I remember mostly SNL. I'm like, oh, that's still going on? Who's the host? It's someone you'll recognize. Ironically, not David Bowie, who who was Tin Machine. I didn't know who David Bowie really was at this point. 
Yes. But he's uh, his Project Tin Machine is the musical guest, and the host is Macaulay Culkin, who weirdly yeah. was just referenced in the uh, Kieran Culkin hosted episode. Mm-hmm. If you didn't see his yeah. monologue, it was really cute. He's uh, and, and he's like, this isn't my first time on this stage. I was here 30, 30 years ago, almost the day, at the, during the uh, goodbyes, the credits. Mm-hmm. And ev- the whole cast lifts Macaulay up on their shoulders, and you see little Kieran Culkin like, I... I I want to be on shoulders. So Jess Kevin <laughs> Nealon picks up fucking Romulus and shakes him around. <laughs> but yeah, like um, Macaulay Culkin was a kid my age, a kid I liked, a kid in movies that I liked. And I know for a fact I watched this live because I watched the next week because of this. And I believe that's Hammer. Mm-hmm. Hammer is uh-huh. musical, musical and uh, host, musical guest and host. But Macaulay Culkin is in this episode and it features the day. <laughs> Of one of my favorite sketches of all time, Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm just a caveman. I fell in some ice and later got thawed out by some of your scientists. Your world frightens and confuses me. Sometimes the honking horns of your traffic make me want to get out of my BMW BMW and run off into the hills or Or whatever. whatever. (laughs) What a silly sketch. So silly, so perfect for Phil Hartman and that voice. That voice alone is perfect. Yeah. I'm like trying to look up like, okay, who wrote this? Because I feel like this got (laughs) Robert Smigel written all over it. I'm trying to find out. Or Conan O'Brien. Yeah, exactly that kind of just (laughs) what? What the hell? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the idea that it's, you know, a parody of like, I'm just a simple country lawyer. (laughs) But he's a frozen caveman. Unfrozen fuck? caveman. We had a lot of arguments over that as little kids because stop saying frozen caveman. He's been unfrozen. Well, he was frozen and then he was, he was unfrozen, unfrozen and then he went to law school. And then he went to law school. <laughs> and uh, only other funny story I have about that. I forget why. 20 years ago, we were trying to do a group costume going as the band Journey. And the first guy to get started oh God, yes. really <laughs> fucked up the ha- haircut he was giving his wig. And like, yep. you don't look anything like Steve Perry, but you look a lot like the unfrozen caveman lawyer. Yes. And that's what so he, he went as. And it, suit, he, he darkened his brow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, and it worked. That. It totally worked. It's a very easy costume. <laughs> I was just about to say, that's one of my favorite costumes that one of our friends have, has ever done for Halloween. <laughs> Uh, 1991 video games. We go way more in depth. Oh, um, wait. But, well, I got an answer. Oh, this is Jack Handy. Oh, is it Jack uh, Handy? Jack Handy created Unfro- <laughs> Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Deep thinker of that, Jack Handy. Um, video yep. games. We talk way more in depth on patreon.com slash later time. And we don't normally talk about Japanese releases unless they're just huge. But because this is, if you bought a Super Nintendo on the side, something is labeled Zelda 3. Something a link to the past will never be called, but it <laughs> arrives in Japan. This week, 30 years ago. Music, 1991. You can't deny Cool Hand Loke by Tone Loke. Tone Loke, who would I would see in more movies than here on my radio, but was what I remember as the beginning of rap music in general, Tone Loke. Hmm. But he's basically a guy talk singing. He's the uh, black cake guy. Um, <laughs> Romance by Luis Miguel and T-E-V-I-N, the debut of Tevin Campbell, who I've been assured is not Usher. He's the goofy movie guy, right? Powerline? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah I believe great. you're right. I'm, I'm positive. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are spoiled for choices of what we could go out with. True. We could do Adam's Groove. We could do anything from Beauty and the Beast. But we have a new number one, which yeah. as per tradition, that's what we have to go out with. Even though I hate this song, 
so goddamn much. This is one of the shittiest fucking covers I've ever fucking heard of a song that is amazing, and I hate everything about it! Well, that you might like, the only thing I remember about this, because I remember it being on the radio and stuff, but in Living Color, Jim Carrey played Michael Bolton, and the chorus was, when a man needs a big hit, borrow a song from a long-dead brother or something like that. Oh, and wow. And he sings so loud, his head explodes at the end. Oh. So if you'd like to see Michael Bolton's head explode, please watch the In Living Color parody of the song we're going to close out with. But we'll... I, well, I hope Percy Sledge gets money, but When a Man Loves a Woman by Michael Bolton. Just, you know, we we talked about that album when it came out, and it's got songs that I can actually stand, like Love is a Wonderful Thing on it. It's like, it's cheesy, yeah. but it's fine. I hate this cover. It just robs all the soul right out of it. And we'll be right back. Get ready to go jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. The holidays came early here at Laser Time, courtesy of Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. There is nothing worse than untrimmed body hair and pubes around the holidays. You really don't want to look like the abominable snowman or Santa's beard is coming out of your shirt or pants. You older gentlemen with white or gray pubes know exactly what I'm talking about. And yes, it may be sweater season, but you don't want to have the world's worst ugly sweater made out of body hair. You need to keep that hair in check with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. There's no better gift for yourself or a loved one we can think of than the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It comes with everything you need to trim your tree and the hair down there. Hair down there. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner to keep your south pole feeling and smelling fresh all day long. The Performance Package 4.0 even comes with a classic stocking stuffer, a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's the perfect package for your perfect package. Speaking of stocking stuffers, Manscaped is going beyond the groin and has some amazing new products that make great gifts like their new Ultra Premium Body Wash. It's infused with aloe vera and sea salt to keep your skin feeling clean, nice, and moisturized. They also launched their new 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner, which has key ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, and strengthening your hair at the same time. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, your husband, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME, one word, at manscaped.com. Make Santa proud this year. Add Manscaped to your wish list this season. Your Your balls balls will thank you. Thanks, Mom. Coming in with Get This Party Started by Pink off of Misunderstood. Two words. 
I get it. I get it. Who doesn't love this song? Ooh, the this... sound of so many early aughts movie trailers. It, it, what, I, this is like Pink's second album? Yeah, it's her what? second album, but this is, what? I mean, just a big old hit because this rules. Oh, was she doing ballads or something beforehand? I remember like, oh. No. Like, I like this a little more than whatever she had done previously. No, she was doing like R and B adjacent sort of poppy stuff. Yeah, because the girl yeah, can sing. I actually shit. really like that first album that she did. Mm. I, I always have to mention it. My funniest, funniest fucking memory of hearing this song. I watched a laser light show projected on a Confederate monument. <laughs> Song oh, no. at Stone, Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain. Yep. How did Stone you Mountain. both know exactly what it was? Uh, no. uh, yeah, I know. I've heard about the laser light show at Stone Mountain. It's yeah. astounding, but it's also hilarious. We're like, we're gonna make this the Confederate Mount Rushmore, and they did one thing in the. It's like a. It's a. And then they got tired. And the, <laughs> well, after about four years, they surrendered. It looks. Like, it looks like someone stuck a sheet of Confederate acid on the side of the biggest potato in the world. It, it's there for like no reason, and then they project all these like I don't know, not divisive songs with laser lights over it. Like just forget about what's already there. Stone Mountain, you're a silly goose. Okay, but welcome to 2001, November 19th to the 25th, and we have a bunch of new music to talk about. Oh, sure did. Yeah, right. what happened, man? None of these are even Christmas albums. We got Bulletproof Wallets, uh, Ghostface Killer. We got Here at the Mayflower by Barry Manilow. Uh, when would they collaborate? <laughs> At least an appearance in the MTV Music Awards. Yeah. Uh, My Romance by Luis Miguel. Motherland by Natalie there Merchant. again. Wow. All right. And uh, uh, The Sinister Urge by Rob Zombie. I now get that movie reference. Violence Has Arrived by Guar. Bright Flight by uh, Silver Jews. Cocky by Kid Rock. Goddess in the Doorway by Mick Jagger. The self-titled debut of Hoobastank. And the... Uh, yeah, of Hoobastank, Denny's Burrito fame. And uh, the Rainbow Children by Prince and Weathered by Creed. Good Lord. But I guess technically something for everybody. Something for oh, everybody yeah. there. Holy yeah, shit. That's a good point. Yeah, just none of it for me. And uh, Family Affair by Mary J. Blige is still numero uno right now. Let's jump right into the movies. 2001. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is still number one at the box office in... I think at the time is making kind of an unthinkable amount of money oh, at the yes. box office. Oh yeah. It, it seems yeah. it doesn't, it's hard to see that by today's standards. Cause like it made a hundred million dollars at the box office in a single week. And you know, movies make like three times that in the first two days, but that's just throughout the holiday season. Everybody had eventually sees this fucking movie at least once, if not more. I remember this film, not bad, especially if you're an old fan of a ski school. Or more superiorly, Ski School mm. too. But it's the first movie I remember seeing with Zach Galifianakis in it, mm. who I recognize yep. from VH1's Zach's World, his short-lived talk show, where I mainly remember they were cutting up next Jean Garofalo, and they just show her making fun of Zach Galifianakis' camel toe for like 45 seconds. Like, that's disgusting. Pad this. I'm not going on stage if his dick looks like this. And he's just standing there silently being <laughs> berated in tight pants. Uh, so I was excited to see him in a movie with Jason London Lee Majors and Willie Garçon. This, I guess I appreciate them, even in 2001, trying to do an 80s movie parody. Mm -hmm. uh, it, the reviews were pretty brutal. But also, it's like a parody of Casablanca. A what? Yeah. Yeah, it's about a guy named Rick and his old girlfriend who turns out she's engaged to somebody else. And, you know, they they had Paris, but uh, they lost it. And then they get it back when she comes to the ski school. What the fuck? Why? you? No, no, it's, it doesn't sound very good. 
Oh my god! And Tom Wilkinson is in two movies. <laughs> yes, yes. Let us talk about star of the episode, Tom wow. Wilkinson. Oh my wow. god! Um, first up, two opposite movies. <laughs> yes. I mean, somebody with an unflappable British pedigree had to jump on this paycheck. But you know what? This is an excellent sub uh, segment for. Six degrees of separation. Yeah, true. Yeah, yep. uh, use it. Use so it wisely. Tom to Wilkinson that. and uh, Sir Martin Lawrence in Black Knight, which is just every time I see this poster, it's like this should say Tracy Jordan on it. And, uh, <laughs> the, 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 that's what every I feel like every poster in Tracy Jordan's dressing room is referencing the poster to Black Knight. It is silly. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is ridiculous. Yes. Oh, Where is gosh. honky grandma be tripping? I want to see that movie. <laughs> yep. Martin Lawrence finds a talisman in the moat of a Renaissance fair and is magically transported back to ye olden times. And it's it's hard to call it bad because like it's just uh, it, it doesn't it just doesn't care about getting you to yeah. where it wants to go. Yeah, like, I just want better doing? jokes. That's all. I don't okay. care if it's dumb if it's funny. I don't care. Just have Martin saying "oh" for like eighty minutes and I'm good. And which he have does. him do that thing where he makes the face and he like holds his fist over his mouth. Like, yes. And almost throws up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Black Knight. I don't remember. I've never watched this all in one sitting, so I don't really know. A movie I didn't care for, but a bunch of people I know liked. I can't wait to see where Die stands on this. How did Stephen Delane, Catherine McCormick, and Brad Pitt, and Robert Redford in Spy Game. Where'd you learn to shoot? Boy Scout, sir. He recruited him. Central intelligence. He'd be working for me, mostly undercover. He trained him. Never risk your life for anyone. Comes down to you or them, send flowers. But on November 21st... Tom Bishop's been arrested for espionage. He will risk everything to save him. We got zero room for error here. Seven minutes. Robert Redford. Look, I know what I'm doing. Six minutes. Red Pitt. Where are you? Coming home. 30 seconds. Spy game. Get out now. It also feels odd in that... Robert Redford has been kind of like bulletproof box office material and like Brad Pitt is playing second fiddle to Robert Redford in a movie in mm. 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, was what about a month ago we had the Oops All Recommendations episode <laughs> except for The Last Castle with Robert Redford in yeah. 2001 and here we go again. Uh-oh. Yeah. Where it's like everything else is getting recommended this week except for the Robert Redford vehicle from 2001. Now, okay, let me say nice things. I Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, who is baby Robert Redford, mm-hmm. together in a movie is kind of cool, especially as, you know, Guy and, and his mentor. Uh, you know, it's Tony Scott, so even when nothing's exciting is happening, it's trying to make you feel like something exciting is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, as a spy type, twisty turny, it was okay. I just, I ended up being kind of bored. Where, like, Brad Pitt gets captured by the Chinese because he's spying, but really it's because, like, they're after his girlfriend, and... Robert Redford has to, you know, break all the rules to try to get him out, even though he said, like, you should never break all the rules to get someone out. Let innocent people die if they fuck up your mission. I don't care. It's like, eh. yeah, it just sort of didn't do much for me. It got like okay-ish reviews, lost money in the box office, because I guess this is just isn't what people wanted to see these guys be doing. But, but then... also Brad Pitt missed out on the Bourne movies because of this. Wow. No. Yeah. I, I would say I, I'm just going to guess. There was not a male's DVD collection I didn't see this in for like the next five years. That's so true. I, I want to say it made mm-hmm. some money it there. It was everywhere for some reason. Yeah, for yeah. some reason. Yeah, did they give it out? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they, they sent it to people's homes with their first trial Mach 3 razor blade just, mm. just to get them hooked at a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me. It's, like, it's, it's just one of those movies where it's like, it's 
fine. And, you know, if you're in the right mood on a weekend, kind of hungover, it's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, espionage is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's just, it's never, it it never goes over the bar for me. It's just fine. The next movie, I, I, I brought it up in the show this year and I can't even remember why, but I watched this movie, I think I was like at my parents for some reason and they had rented this on a VHS and I started watching this with them and could not look away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a difficult movie to describe. William uh, Mapother is... Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise's cousin? Yep. Brother. Uh, cousin. cousin. And um, Marissa Tomei, Nick Stahl, Sissy Spacek, and once again, Black Knight's Tom Wilkinson um, <laughs> in the bedroom. I've had lots of girlfriends, and I don't understand why this one is any different. She's not divorced yet, you know. Did you hit him at all? Come on, tell me you hit him. You're Just so he doesn't do it again. You take my house, and you take my kids. You encouraged him. You can't admit the truth to me or to yourself. I know what you think, that, uh, that I was too lenient. That I let him get away with everything. I watched this movie with no knowledge of what was about to happen. And it's like, oh. it's mid-movie swerve at that point was very, like, psycho-esque for me. Nick oh. Stahl, budding st- superstar. I, I, I don't even know how to begin to describe this film. Uh, the movie begins with uh, Nick Stahl, uh, the son of Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek, dating a much, an older woman with a kid, uh, Marissa Tomei. And... Half the movie goes by. I'm like, he's sure he should be dating this girl? That's ah, fine. What a modern mm-hmm. relationship. But she's she's not technically divorced yet. And her her husband's kind of got some rage issues. That's eh, fine. No, and then in the middle of the film, the husband walks in and shoots Nick Stahl in the head in their home. And the movie becomes <laughs> I've only watched this like two and a half times because it is like painful to its core it, it really is just like painful to watch the argument you heard a bit of in the trailer are like you led him to dating this person he mm. wouldn't have been dating this person if you hadn't let him get away with everything uh, parents arguing about whether their parenting led to their kid being murdered in his like early 20s and then they live it in the, swerves again it swerves again they live in this, this small town marissa they see marissa tomei everywhere they go not everywhere they go but they run across her on occasion and fish. Do we blame her for killing our son? And then <laughs> another swerve. The killer gets out of jail on like uh, very, very early. And okay, do we avenge our son? <laughs> and it's yeah. just, it's a very slow, moody, just melancholy film, but is hmm. beautiful. It, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's easy to recommend, but like I wouldn't watch it again for this show. It was too happy. <laughs> yeah, it's. It puts you through a lot of emotions because it is really delving into grief and loss and mm-hmm. how we process it and how we like blame other people to try to feel better. Because I mean, the title in the bedroom, like, oh, that sounds saucy. But no, it's about lobster traps and how if there's more than two lobsters in a trap, they'll start to fight and someone's mm-hmm. going to someone's going to get hurt. And so the idea is like, just run with that metaphor of even when there's two people, sometimes they they start to fight and, and there's conflict and yeah, the parents trying to deal with their grief in different ways and feeling like you're not dealing with your grief the right way. And they're like, no, you're not dealing with your grief the right way. Mm-hmm. And having to like constantly see, you know, the girlfriend around and feeling like it's her fault. And how do we wait for justice to, do we trust the system or what, do, you know, if we take revenge, then we all suffer more. And it's just, it's, it's beautifully made. The acting is fantastic. Yeah. It's uh, written and directed by Todd Field, who's only made one other movie, which is Little Children, which is also yes, fucking the same fucking thing. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. 
it's like if I had a billion dollars, I'd probably just throw money at him to see like go make another yeah. incredibly well made sad movie. Make a hyper depressing Netflix film. We'll talk about for a, a full weekend. Like no one Please. will stop talking about. Fully realized flawed people. Go. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. just watching this 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 couple argue through this this pain of like having to see these two people in their town the the two who should be dead before their son <laughs> mm. watching them walk around with their living legs and everything it just it is so painful um mm. and it, yeah. it's i never would have watched this unless i was sitting down with my parents and um it was a little i don't know i was watching movies of this type on my own at this point but um it, the, the, the honestly the name was so boring i didn't yeah, i wouldn't it have doesn't jumped into really it tell you in the bedroom doesn't really tell you what the movie is at all. And I mean, it made just about everybody's, every critic's top 10 list. It gets nominated for a ton of Oscars. I feel like it vindicates Marissa Tomei mm. of people being like, oh, yeah. she didn't really win the Oscar. Jack Palance read the wrong name. It's like, no, she's great in this. Yeah. And, and we know yeah. now the Oscars will undo such an error. Thank you once again, Warren Beatty. So, yeah, in, in the bedroom, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's a strong drama, but yeah. it, I feel like. What if they called I, it I, how, to, how to Confront Your Son's Murderer? Mm, yeah, <laughs> your like, only son's I, murderer. But unlike a lot of movies that I just feel like are are like grueling, and in the end they're so sad, and I just feel terrible, and they then they stick with you for days. Like this one will stick with you for days, but I don't feel like it's grueling in the same way. You know, it's it's not it... just fucking depressing. It's very very. I find it just very interesting of how yeah. people cope with these things in different ways the older you get the less likely you're you are to be traumatized by single scenes but like not seeing the way what's his nuts walks into that room and just shoots nick stall point blank in the face and just sits there and doesn't leave mm. is like a haunting scene that still sticks with me and it's like i sort of never want to see that again i it was mm. so out of nowhere for me but now that you know dear listener i yeah. can't recommend in the bedroom enough <laughs> yeah yeah <gasps> really 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 good yeah. Um, and it's it, a kind of thing that's easy to get wrong and make it sappy. Yeah. And, and it, it is not sappy. Um, maybe I should have watched it. Maybe I, sh- I should have watched it just as like um, for some some levity to this joyous 302010 uh, research <laughs> that I've had to do this episode. So we'll do a hard pivot to television and friends. Uh, the yeah. one with the rumor. Well, we were just talking off air about thanksgiving episodes and friends has always been very good about doing a thanksgiving episode of television which we've always really appreciated and this is one of the more famous ones i pulled it because it has an extremely famous guest star who you probably can guess if you think about what's going on in tabloids in 2001 oh couple in the world in 2001 who are still being written about in tabloids to this day despite exactly (laughs) it's a a big deal so, yeah, when this guest star walks in, whew. Hey! <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks. God, Will, I'm so glad that you came. You just, you look great. You must have lost, like... 150 pounds. Yeah, I'm going to be in one of those Subway sandwich commercials. <laughs> what a timeless joke. So what's funny about this episode is that one of the criticisms that Friends gets a lot, and very rightly so, is a lot of the jokes do not age well. And 
So if you're looking at Friends from that perspective, this is not the best episode to watch because yes, there are some really very aging poorly trans fat, jokes and fat, fat Amy jokes, jokes um, and subway oh. jokes. <laughs> so yeah, but Brad Pitt was a big guest star and man, they hyped this episode so hard because he and Jen were like the, 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 couple, the couple, capital T, capital C, the couple right now. Yeah. And also, I hate having to explain this. But you just hear about it on occasion. If you're looking even back 20 years ago, there was a very big difference between people who worked in TV and people who worked mm-hmm. in movies. And I don't think mm-hmm. Brad Pitt would have guest starred on any TV show unless he was fucking one of their stars. Yes. And, yep. and this is he did not need to do that and is clearly doing someone a favor. We are definitely at this point in television getting into, hey, it's not so weird or lame to do television anymore. And I think we're now probably right around here, around the turn of the century, we're seeing more bleed through where it's a little bit more respectable to do TV, to get a TV show. I mean, probably because we're entering the real height of prestige television with the Sopranos Mm. and the whatnot. And, you know, previously Friends did have huge guests. Willis do Mm -hmm. a very, you know, pretty long spate of episodes. So, you know, Friends has been doing this like famous guest star thing for a pretty long time. Uh, But this probably was the peak of its powers. Mm -hmm. And video games of 2001. Who could forget Wario Land 4 for GBA? Effectively ending the Super Mario Land series after only three games. Game Boy Advance, my bad. WWF Smackdown, Just Bring It. That's back when there was 8,000 wrestling games every year. Frogger, The Great Quest for PS2. I think this is hilarious. The first of two games based on the movie X vs. Sever. (laughs) (laughs) Who could forget Star Wars Episode 1 Jedi Power Battles. Moving to the big one. You guys ready? You late it's gonna blow your mind, ladies. Mm-hmm. Super mm-hmm. Smash Brothers Melee. The second Ooh, Smash Brothers. What? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I mean, you probably saw you were in a dorm around this time. You might have seen people playing this game. Mm-hmm. This is a dorm yeah. classic. But yes, the the Nintendo fighting game is back. Looks way better than the previous one with a way bigger roster with some surprising character moments. Single player, and it's on GameCube and I think is one of the only reasons people love that terrible controller, Super Smash Bros. Melee. We'll talk about that more. Patreon.com slash laser time. What can I say? That is the sacrifice I make for the show. And in that vein, let's close out with Creed's My Sacrifice. I mean, okay. Tallahassee native Scott Stapp, Now, hold on. Right? This is, if, if we've never, have we mentioned this in the show to you, Diana? Do you know our relationship with Creed having grown up in Tallahassee? No. Creed, all of them went to college here. They became famous here. Friend of a friend produced their album. Every week we'd have Creed... Creed parties, our friend who you've heard on the podcast, Aaron, opened for Creed several times, knows mm-hmm. knows mm-hmm. the band mm-hmm. pretty intimately. They got a record deal, got that on a major label. They never, ever came back to Tallahassee, and they called <laughs> themselves a band from Orlando. I'm like, I don't know that you ever played Orlando. Your album was made here. And, and they remade all their first two music videos to be super. So, like, not only does Creed suck, they pissed in the mouth of my hometown. Aw. Well, I, I have to thank... Twitter user, uh, who sent me an amazing <laughs> clip this week that is pretty timely. I, I should have looked up the exact date, but it's perfect because the Creed album's out and it's got my sacrifice on it of the Thanksgiving Day game with the Dallas Cowboys. Creed does a halftime show. Oh, boy. And it is the 
perfect encapsulation of post 9-11 Americana fuckery because Creed's playing their Creedy songs. There's a ton of dancers. There's red, white, and blue everything. Finally, at the end, there's both a children's choir and a gospel choir. Wow. There's like circus performers and everything is red, white, and blue. And I, I, I almost don't want to spoil the ending, but I feel like I have to. Does a little girl release a dove at the end of the Creed concert? <laughs> yes, she fucking does. <laughs> It is hilarious. Oh. Please look it up on YouTube. That couldn't this, be like, better. Thanksgiving if, Creed oh. Cowboys. Some, oh that my could, god! That could not it's be better if Pac-Man so and Miss Pac-Man got married. That was that is a great halftime. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, well, let's close that with Measured Verge by uh, Creed, and we'll <laughs> assure you the show will be way more interesting when we get back. Because oh man, this stuff it gets so fun. All the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watch it. And for the week of November 19th through 25th, one of those movies that, like, all the classic film nerds know pretty well, but then you introduce it to new people and they all go like, why the fuck is no one talking about this movie? This is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Celebrating its 75th anniversary this week from 1946 is The Best Years of Our Lives, directed by William Wyler, starring Friedrich March, Myrtle Loy, Dana Andrews, Teresa Wright, Harold Russell, who was a non-professional actor who is actually a, a service member who lost both his hands in World War II. And he plays a guy who lost his hands in World War II. Yeah, it's about three guys coming back to their town after the war and them trying to adapt and cope with what we would call PTSD, feeling like there's no place for them anymore, dealing with how their family relates to them, trying to fit back into their family. It's so, so well done. The acting is great. The characters just stay very, very interesting. It's a very small, personal film that ended up being like a massive blockbuster. Like everyone went crazy for it. And it's so weird to see Hollywood dealing with things like post-traumatic stress right after the war. I mean, 1946. And then like almost immediately it feels like everyone just kind of was like, let's never speak of that again. The 50s is all about like, let's hide our feelings and drink. We'll never talk about what we saw. And and this is like glancing at a, a different reality where, oh, we could have actually talked about mental health and feeling displaced and people, you know, emotionally moving on while you're gone. And then you come back and like your girlfriend maybe doesn't care the same way about you. You know, she's become a different person and so have you. Best Years of Our Lives, 1946. Massive recommend. Really is, like, it shows up on, like, 100 Best American Films lists, and it's just, like, people don't seem to talk about it anymore. It's on Canopy, so it's free if you got a library card. And I think you'll be really surprised at how well it holds up. Like, you could remake this about any war and it would still be compelling. So, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Sometimes I get so confused I'm strong but I can break 
So we're coming in what with Mary J. Blige again, someone to love me naked. Should I say that differently? Someone to love me parenthetical naked? Featuring Diddy, Lil Wayne, off of My Life 2, The Journey Continues. Great. Ooh, that's a lot of words. Really? Yeah. Honestly. All of that. You could have done some editing. Mm-hmm. New releases of 2011, November 19th to the 25th also include uh, On Your Radar by The Saturdays, Elevate by Big Time Rush, Songbook by Chris Cornell, Break the Spell by Doughtry, um, uh, Memories of a Beautiful Disaster by James Durbin, 50 Words for Snow by Kate Bush, and Here and Now by Nicole Back. Um, speaking of Creed, two, 2011. <laughs> it is getting very. It is getting. Yeah. I think everybody kind of wants to get that stocking stuffer in. So a lot of albums mm-hmm. coming out this week. Yep. Uh, we found love by Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris is still number one. Mm. Uh, a little bit of news to bring to let you know what was happening 10 years ago. Arab Spring, uh, after 11 months of protest in Yemen, President uh, Ali Abdullah Saleh signs a deal to transfer power to the vice president in exchange for legal immunity. That's how you do it. Yep. Yeah. Arab Spring's been going on still with little bits and pieces here and there all this time. And finally, it's like, all right, it's finally. Look, if you just leave, we won't arrest you. Dictate until you can't dictate anymore and then yell diplomatic immunity. And, yeah. and run off. The third annual Never Not Funny Podcast Podcastathon raises forty-one thousand dollars. That it's is wild train. Actually, yeah, Diana found that. I always forget mm-hmm. about that, but yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. you know my first and foremost podcast love, Jimmy Pardo and Never Not Funny. The, his podcast, yeah, they've done such a good thing with Sarcastathon, which was a it's a twelve-hour podcasting marathon that they do every year. And this third annual one. $21,000 for Smile Train. You can do... Yeah. You and can, then last year, they made four times that. Yeah. You can do a podcast and not raise money for yourself. Yeah. Like that. hey, that's a fine kettle of fish. I didn't know that at all. Sorry, but Patreon.com. <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> I have to say, though, and I know I talk about Never Not Funny a lot, but mm-hmm. it is the only fandom that I'm a part of that is, it's, it's not gatekeeping in and of itself like the fans are, but it's the only fandom that I think I'm a part of that I could be like, I can't even explain it to you. Like, I, 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 I am. So, <laughs> it's been going on for so long and the inside jokes are so deep that I can't even like explain why and then let's not forget I, I think at this point they were one of the first people to like innovate a paywall like if you like yes. the show yes they, they had to build their own system i don't know what it was so like mm-hmm. and not a lot of people even bothered to make a paywall so like if you were into this at this point you were really into this and it, yeah. I, I listen to more podcasts than i do organically watch tv shows not for this show so i get <laughs> yeah. it yeah i mean i feel like maybe i do this every year whenever we talk about podcasts but yeah, I mean, I started listening to Never Not Funny back when, I don't know if anyone's familiar with A Special Thing, the comedy message boards all yes. about alt-comedy. The Tenacious yeah, D reference. By, yes, it's a Tenacious D reference. Mm-hmm. It started by Matt Belknap and others. And so, yeah, that's where I started really getting into like alt-comedy. And then they had a thing called A Special Thing Radio where... Matt Belknap interviewed Jimmy Pardo and then they said, hey, we should do this thing that nobody's ever heard of called a podcast and started podcasting. So I've been listening to them since the first episode, which I want to say was like in 2005, I want to think. Yeah, super. It's one of the first ones ever. Predates the fucking iPod practically. Yeah. 
And so I've been listening to Never Not Funny since then, basically. And yeah, they've done every kind of paywall you can think of, a subscription service, you know, you get the first 15 minutes and then you have to pay for the rest. They've done everything you could possibly think of when it comes to podcasting. Sounds exhausting. It is. <laughs> it sounds very exhausting, but also one of my favorite things in life. Well, shout out to podcasts. They're important, he said with a Ron Burgundy question mark. Now more than ever, I guess, when since we're all listening to a lot of stuff while we pretend to clean our homes. Movies, 2011, November 19th to the 25th. Twilight Breaking Dawn, part one, is still number one at the box office, so I know my co-hosts are happy with the world. <laughs> you know what? I can't stay upset because uh, we have wonderful movies to talk about. I... So I'm just going to focus on the good word. I should have said that to tease it earlier because I did write it down. During some of the viewings for this episode, I was crying tears of joy to where I felt them on my neck, which is not a sensation I'm used to. Very, very happy with the movies of this segment. And I do not mean to disparage the one I didn't see, The Deep Blue Sea with Rachel Wise and Tom Hiddleston, but oh. that movie is also out. That is not the one I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, it's also a, a good movie, but it might make you cry for different reasons because, again, tempestuous affair. Mm -hmm. That's the theme of the non-family friendly episodes. Uh, it's based on the play by Terrence Radigan. And it's Rachel Weiss is cheating on her husband with Tom Hiddleston, who was uh, a former RAF pilot in the war. And he's got sort of PTSD. So tie it in with Classic Corner even. And performances are solid. And it's, you know, some high melodrama. And like she's in, in love with her husband because he's so stable, but she's also excited by being with Tom Hiddleston, but he's unstable, you know, and she can't take like she she wants she can't neither one of them is perfect for her. You know, you know that feeling? Mm -hmm. yeah, it really gets into that. That feeling of like, this is exciting, but bad for me. This is boring, but good for me. No, and I can't find a fucking balance. And sorry, there's a lot of romance and drama in the deep blue sea, but no shark attacks. And then continuing with the tempestuous affairs. Ah, yes. For realsies. Oh, honey, Vince these affairs are tempestuous. They be tempestuous as shit. Vincent Cassell, <laughs> Michael Ennis Fassbender, uh, Vigo Mortensen, and Kira Knightley in A uh, Dangerous movie. Method. Okay. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Movies with Freud in them, they gonna be fucking. Hell yeah, they be fucking. Movies directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> oh, God, really? They go be fucking. Hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're trying to sell you on this movie because I don't think you would actually want to watch it, but you should because it's very good. Licking it's their open very wounds. good. I loved this. So I was going through the list of movies. I've seen a lot of these. I came upon a dangerous method. That sounds really familiar. I remember it's a Keira Knightley in some sort of costume, like period costume movie, but I gotta look it up. That is Holy shit, it's about movies. Young and Freud, and it's directed by David Cronenberg. Could not be more my shit right were they, now. Were they best oh, friends? Yeah. What, did I miss something? They're frenemies. Really? Yeah. Okay. This movie rocks. I loved yep. it so much. So Keira <laughs> Knightley is this woman who is suffering from these horrible attacks. Hysteria. Hysteria. And Women. she goes to a facility to be treated for those where she's being treated by a young, uh, young, <laughs> J-U-N-G, young, um, <laughs> as a young man played by Michael Fassbender. And he essentially cures her of this horrible, these psychological issues that she's been having huh. through this brand new method that nobody has ever heard of called 
psychoanalysis. And then later it turns into psychoanalysis because it just sounds better, according yeah. to Freud. Called the talking cure, where he basically therapizes her and is like, hey, talk about some things from your childhood that seem to disturb you. What do you think about your mother? I'm doing Sopranos now. Yes, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> it's the father. It's the father. Uh, it's uh, the father. <laughs> and then she becomes a student of his and then a student of psychology in general and then it's all about his relationship as young with Vigo Mortensen who's playing Freud with his prosthetic face (laughs) whole face I forgot it was Vigo honestly because they do such a good job with the the subtle prosthetics Mm -hmm. uh and and they're frenemies and there's like a lot of BDSM sex in it and Mm -hmm. it's I don't know. I'm not doing a good job of explaining it. Damn, I love this movie so much, especially because I'm reading a lot of Young right now. And I I love Young. I had a kind of a fascination with Freud growing up. I did a huge, a lot of projects about him in high school because I was really interested. I mean, I always will have a soft spot in my heart for Freud because, I mean, I do think some of the things he was probably pretty right about, but he was Mm -hmm. also a pervy cokehead. So... (laughs) But then a lot of great Ugh. things have come from pervy cokeheads. No, true. Dare to dream. Look at Fleetwood Mac. It's a, so. yeah. it's, one, it's, one of, it's, a, it's one of those jobs I wish still existed. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, it's so. It was funny because it, you know, it, it's on the surface a dangerous method looks like. It's you know, it's a biopic. Maybe it's gonna be kind of stuffy, and it's just. Maybe it's going to be about their rivalry or something. And, you know, everyone's wearing like really high collars and being very formal. And it's because because Cronenberg's so awesome. Like he he can direct things. It's very everything feels very formal, even the sex scenes. Mm-hmm. And yet still really work like mm-hmm. it's it's still hot while still being very clinical. Yeah. And yeah, it was funny that some some critics thought like the whole movie is clinical, and it's like, bitch, it's about Carl Jung it's... and Freud. Yes. Of course, clinical is that's the whole thing. So They're clinicians, yes, it's about sciencing, but also about emotions and how. They're bringing their own emotions to things and thinking sometimes that those are universal, but it's like, no, dude, that's just you. But also, too, <laughs> like it ex- examines how therapists and psychoanalysts and psychiatrists and psychologists can't help but bring their own, you know, feelings and thoughts into their treatment in a lot of ways and like gotten better about knowing boundaries, hopefully, and figuring those yeah. out. Yeah, I also don't fuck your s- patients. Yeah, I mean, that's like the first rule. <laughs> don't fuck someone and write a paper about them. Also, That's probably not a good yeah, idea. Not yeah. a great idea. But I also love too how some of the criticism was that the actual sex scenes, yes, they were kind of clinical, but then the scenes of therapy where she's describing her feelings are actually extremely visceral and like <laughs> and animal-like and, and just like pure passion and the opposite of clinical, which I think is such a fun contrast between those two scenes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really come to appreciate Kira Knightley. I never was a huge fan of hers for a little while because I thought she always made such a weird crying face. But between <laughs> <laughs> between this and Colette, I am become a 
big Kira Knightley fan. She's making some very cool, interesting choices. I in would the like past to throw yeah, in Pirates of the Caribbean three into that mix. So good. Mm. So good. I love yep. Cronenberg, so I was super happy to see his name pop up on the screen. Dude, and I think I think this is the last of the Cronenberg Vio Mortensen movies we get. We got yeah. three. And Eastern Promises, they all History of Violence. Rule. History of Violence and Eastern Promises. Yeah, very mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. fucking rule. I've and never seen this, so like I'm kind of yeah, disgusted. Give it a try, man. I found it really interesting. Because I'm when Cronenberg does eroticism, mm-hmm. it tends to kind of not work for me. I guess mm-hmm. there's some in not a uh, crash fan. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a crash fan. <laughs> I don't I, I don't get it. Dead no, ringers but, too, which is yeah, yeah, because I mean he's David Cronenberg, he's the creepy guy. Yeah. And this is an interesting choice for him to be in a movie he wants to make but i uh, did a freaking great job so yeah dangerous method total recommend mm. oh but a history of violence is also pretty erotic. Mm. amazing oh yeah that's like the only time it, it's like intensely. oh okay yeah it's like a, it, it has a hot sex scene i read you do not want to recreate do not have sex oh, on hardwood stairs it'll really, oh really god hurt. no mm-hmm. uh, and I, I love that the movie addresses that later you see those giant bruises on yeah. her <laughs> it's like oh yeah ow, like a motherfucker ow. yeah Ow, ow. Ooh, um, Ooh, love this okay. movie, though. But, I mean, it's... I'm trying to come up with a segue. I mean, it's a period piece. It takes place in Europe. Let's talk about another period piece that takes place in Europe. <laughs> okay. For the whole family! And Th- God, it took me forever to figure out why is Martin Scorsese making this movie? I I think that is so funny. I feel like this is the same way. I went in this movie, Martin Scorsese is making a kid's movie. <sighs> well, if it's Scorsese's making it, I will endure this. And then, like, he lied to everybody. He's making a very, very well, PG Scorsese movie that kids will hate. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, here's here's the thing, though, is I rewatched this last night, and now I appreciate it on a whole new level. Because this movie is about magic tricks. Yes. And yes. the movie is a magic trick, where yes. halfway through the movie, they say, oh, what this movie is about doesn't matter. Yeah. Here's what this movie's actually about. I don't know if... <sighs> I, I was trying to think of like, would kids like this? Because no. it is arguably a kids movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe twelve and thirteen year olds. Like, I feel like older kids because it does move kind of slow. Mm-hmm. It's a little long and indulgent in all the right ways for the people who like Martin Scorsese and not yeah. super violent Martin Scorsese. I'm t- my favorite Scorsese is I am a huge film nerd. I have seen yep. all the latest movies, and that's why I've cast these people from across genres because I've watched a bunch of other movies. And he starts this movie pretending it's going to be Amelie, and I love that it abandons that like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like an hour into the film. This is not Amelie. Uh, and the cast is wonderful. Emily Mortimer, who I call Mrs. Newsroom. <laughs> Ray Winstone. Christopher Lee is only performance in a Martin Scorsese movie. Jude Law in the movie for three minutes. Michael Stolberg. Helen McCroy. Ooh, Helen McCroy. I love her so much. And R.A.P. We lost her yeah. way too soon. Sasha Baron Cohen. Just wonderful in this film. Like going in, He's going Clouseau. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ben Kingsley. And I even hate saying that. I, I don't. I, obviously, we're going to get into some spoilers here. Chloe Grace Mortez and Asa Butterfield in Hugo. If you've ever wondered where your dreams come from, this is where they're made. What is that? I think it's a message from my father. Do you want to know? Yes. Things you're too young to understand. Hugo, a Martin Scorsese picture in three D. I want to preface this yep. after that. I love that ad because yes. it makes it sound very mysterious and Harry Potterish. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Kind of is sometimes. I want to, and I want to preface what I say about this movie with two things. It is the only 3D movie I would save in a fire, and it. uh, Oh, I forgot the other one. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize until looking into this that this was a pretty significant failure. I I, I remembered it it got nominated for the most Oscars I think Scorsese's ever been nominated for, winning more Oscars in the technical categories for more than any other Scorsese movie. But it was so expensive. You know, the Goodfellas Departed guy doing a movie shot in 3D set in Paris, which I believe they stepped into literal Paris for like four days in filming this movie. It is all an elaborate effect. This movie is wonderful. One of the best movies of this decade. Yeah, it's so... Well, I don't even know where to start with this. I, mm-hmm. It's kind of funny that, like, last week we talked about Man Who Wasn't There, which is a brilliant Coen Brothers movie mm-hmm. that everyone forgets in comparison to everything else. Yeah. And, yeah, when Scorsese dies, and that better be 50 years from now, no one's going to say Hugo director Martin Scorsese. But it also is so much his movie. Yeah. Because, yeah, it is about literally the magic of movies. But it's so many things he hasn't done before. He hasn't made a PG movie in, like, almost 20 years. And that's Age, Age of, of Innocence, Innocence, which is not any kid's movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's never worked with special effects this heavily, ever. Ever. Or ever again. And he never worked in 3D. So obviously when you're Martin Scorsese, you can just call James Cameron and say, hey, can me and my crew like, come over and you could like teach us how to do 3D? James Cameron said, your 3D and what you've done in this movie is better than anything I've done with Avatar. That is literally a story from this film. God for James Cameron. Yeah. And uh, it's very subtle. There's only a couple of times where the 3D, I remember, really I hits. I would say, because now it's pretty difficult to watch this movie in 3D. And yeah. there's a there's only one element that's sad. The other is there's a couple of things where like the camera's lingering on floating CG objects, or it's a thing that's supposed to be a very spectacular 3D shot that doesn't work as well ten years later in not 3D. That does yeah. happen from time to time in this wonderful movie about an orphan boy living in a train station, secretly doing the job of his drunk dead uncle, winding the clocks. Running away from Sasha Baron Cohen, a World War One veteran survivor, and his dog and his bad knee, and all the other participants in the station. Who I swear, the only knock against this movie is that like everything it sets up in the beginning, like most of those people don't matter. You you think they'll be referenced throughout the end of the film, and they just will be forgotten, including no. Hugo himself. Hugo Cabret himself is yeah, almost no. Forgotten. Every everyone's plot arc winds up. Some of them are just simply like. Oh, that guy wants to talk to that lady, but her dog is mean, so he gets a dog. Now they can talk. Yeah, and that happens like an hour, like <laughs> an hour before yes. the movie ends. So like, yeah, like, oh, well, that's resolved. Okay, yeah. And, and just... what I hate about it is like Ben Kingsley pops up, and you know Ben Kingsley has a tendency to pop up and stuff and not be the star. And I wasn't expecting anything, and just for him to emerge, like, oh no, this movie should have been called Ben Kingsley's characters. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I checked the the, the book. I, I, when I was thinking this is based on a children's book called The Invention of Hugo Cabret, I was thinking, you know, rectangular, where the wild things are. It is a book, a heavy, thick book that is okay for kids. And this is this is very much what happened. I don't know. How would you describe the plot, yeah. Diana? You're always more eloquent than I am. Yeah, no, I mean, you you nailed it. It's about this orphan hiding in the walls and the clocks, keeping everything running. He's... So right there, very cool. Good movie. Yeah. Willing to Already see Already pretty cool. <laughs> His dad was like a clockmaker. And they found this automaton, which is, you know, like a analog robot. And he wants to fix it because his dad died and he's sad. And it's like, you know, 
it's a connection to his dad. So he keeps stealing parts from Ben Kingsley's toy shop to try to fix this robot. And Ben Kingsley catches him and makes him like help out in the shop. And then he meets his, you know, granddaughter, Grace Moretz, and just, you know, starts coming out of a shell and meeting people. And then, yeah, then there's like a big turn of once they get, once they get the robot working and it's like, wait, this movie's about something else. They get the, ah, tricked ya. They get the robot working and it starts drawing pictures of things that I think are still famous enough for most people to get from the mm-hmm. movie A Trip to the Moon. I know our generation is familiar with the Smashing Pumpkins Tonight Tonight video with uh, Mr. Yeah, Show yeah. alum, uh, mm-hmm, Jill Talley mm-hmm. and Tom Kenny, SpongeBob. That is based on a silent movie from the the aughts or the yeah from like 1902 yeah i think and And so yeah this movie turns into a movie about the magic of the movies and the creation how movies came to be and so i I was like why did scorsese choose to direct this i'm like oh this is actually i think the most one of the most personal non-documentaries he's ever made in his life it is about loving movies and preserving movies which is almost unfair to hugo cabrake (laughs) the movie is about (laughs) this kid and it's totally not but Whatever. Uh, and this one was like, oh, I thought I remembered it pretty well. And then I rewatch it. And I, of course, I just fall in love with it all over again because it's doing so many things that I love. There's a bunch of little references here and there to play old stuff because Scorsese is just the biggest film nerd in the world. But it's also fun comparing to last week. We talked about Cape Fear and the directing style of that is just full on Hitchcock. Nothing's at a straight angle. It's lots of zooms and scary pans. And this is very different. I mean, like, Almost John Ford. It's uh, honestly William Wyler taking mm-hmm. it back to uh, classic corner. William Wyler is something, someone that uh, Scorsese really reveres. And it's very formal, but there's also a lot of just beautiful, long tracking shots and zooms that are literally impossible without digital. Yeah. And to let Scorsese just go, not, do something completely impossible. Have fun. It's like, oh, he goes for it. And it is, it is brimming with film dork references and i don't mean kevin smith movie film dork references i'm talking like i am 95 years old and go to every single local film festival kind of film nerd shit. we're like, talking geez. lumiere brothers bitches we're t- we're talking like turn of the previous century film references and and that to me is one of the most deeply moving parts of the when i saw it in the theaters in 3d and I don't know. I don't really want to jump to the end. We haven't even jumped to the middle yet, so I'll save that. But we eventually discover, okay, the Ben Kingsley character who looks like he's the seventh lead is actually this fallen visionary director who's forced to work in a train station now. And he's this director who made 800 films that have all been lost following World War One, and tre- <laughs> treats uh, his, his career with post-traumatic stress disorder and... Mm. And then we also uncover his movies have been written about and have fans, and there are colleges. To, I looked into this. This is only it only covers like a five year period. This did happen, but yep. it was only like a five year period. And it makes it sound like a thirty year period of uh, George Millier's like disappearing. Everyone thinks it's like it's like someone finding finding a Scorsese. Like ah, I think he's dead. He doesn't make <laughs> movies anymore. Um, let's write books about how great he was. And yeah, actually, I could. It was a good comparison. Terrence Malick. There he you retired go. for almost 30 years. He made a bunch of really good movies, then he retired, and people thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ha fuck you, I'm going to make Tree of Life, and it's got dinosaurs in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were like, what? Okay? <laughs> are, you, 
are you sure you're awake yet? And, that, <laughs> and that's why I think this movie is a sadistic breach of contract. Because if you brought your kids to this movie, and then it turns out to be about film preservation, what if <laughs> <laughs> you would look like a real asshole? I, I, I want to recommend this to my friends with kids right now, because I deeply love this movie. It's one of the... Ten years later, it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It's it's the best Scorsese movie made in the last ten years. Period. Oh, I mean, oh, that's God not that's not that wrong. controversial. Uh, you want me to talk about Wolf of Wall Street, uh, mm. Diana? Mm. But, no, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think I I don't know how younger kids might go for it in that fun like the Harry Potter like I'm a kid on my own going on an adventure kind of way. Older kids, I think, might like it a little bit more just because of the pace and the setting might throw younger kids off because like it's it's awful french and it's awful 19 like 31 <laughs> and I, I i'm not a film i just want to say i'm not a film major i am not a film school graduate i have a film mm-hmm. minor and any of you could take any of the classes i did probably for free wherever you are and learn what i did about film and what you'll learn is everything martin scorsese references here you'll know the lumiere brothers by name you'll know what chaplin movie that that thing is from and 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 what we discover, sorry, yes, is Hugo basically has to help this director be rediscovered again and come out of his PTSD and maybe become a magician, director, artist again uh, and be embraced by the world. And the the deeply moving thing about it for me in the theater is um, I think there's that middle part where they, they're studying films and you see these like Chaplin movies and these Lumiere things in like 3D. It's it's astonishing. And the movie shows you the, the uh, Millier stuff, the trip to the moon and the Atlantis videos. And then at the end of the movie, they show you this reel about film preservation. And then those movies pop in 3D. All of those movies were painstakingly remastered. I think Scorsese said he had to cut the montage down from 10 minutes because the best audiences wouldn't tolerate it. But, <laughs> but it's about film preservation. Uh, I'll take it all. And it's about films from literally the 1900s that have now been digitally rescanned and had their layers separated. They're the most preserved movies in history. The movie behind the scenes lives up to the movie it's talking about. It's it's such this beautiful concept and I, I there's I don't think there's anything meaningful that 3D had ever brought to movies before. There, there's even sequences in from what I know about those the train coming into the station movie like the audience gasped cuz they thought they were going to get run over and like no they weren't fucking idiots or mice. They gasped the same way you would gasp in Captain EO. Like, whoa, didn't expect that to happen on screen. They they weren't afraid of being run over. That's ridiculous. But that's what I did to these movies at the end of this movie. And yep. I don't. Because there is a train coming at you. And you're like, oh, shit. And I, but, but no, I'm talking about the, the Millier stuff being remastered and, 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 and oh, yeah. turned into 3D. And there's. Uh, we 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 did a late time about lost media and sadly 3D from just 10 years ago is kind of qualifies if you have a 3D blu-ray mm. hold on to it because televisions don't even support that technology anymore but that's all we have like jackass 3D is unbuyable no. you, you cannot get it anywhere it, it, it existed on DVD in the beginning it just what are you going to watch it on TVs don't support that anymore they might again this happens every 30 30- 40 years we get 3d televisions but yeah. it to me it's the most significant storyline uh emotional use of 3d i've ever seen in any movie ever and uh it's god it would piss kids off <laughs> this will make kids so mad <laughs> it, it is a movie for adults yeah. that kids can sit you, you can be okay with your kids watching with you yeah yeah, there's nothing scary or objectionable going on. And just in case this sounds like, oh my God, I do not need two hours of film nerdery. You don't have to know all this stuff 
like I am a film major. Like you don't have to know all this stuff. The movie explains it to you and explains why it's interesting because of the point is that used to be movies where it's just it's just a trick. It's mm-hmm. like magic trick. That, all like, movies are magic tricks. All editing is magic yeah. tricks. Yeah. The and, the idea that instead of just showing a thing, you know, we can tell a story and we can use film in a different way than we can use, say, theater. That's what this is about. It's about the, developing the, the that first cart- into- the first modern cartoon is an onstage magic trick. So whenever anybody shits on CG, I'm like, that's literally what animation was created for. To make Windsor McKay stand next to a dinosaur. (laughs) That's what it was for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, there's... Magician. There's an alternate universe where movies never developed into an art form. And Mm -hmm. this is about how, how they did. And it's because it's so like hands-on, let's put on a show. Okay, stop the camera. Everyone freeze. Okay, now you get into the shot and it's going to look like you appeared there. It's like, that's stuff that like any kid fucking around with a video camera understands. It's, and it's like, yeah, and they did that a hundred years ago. That's how they figured this shit out. I, I don't and know. And it's fun because it's all goofy and weird. They're going under the sea. They're going to the moon, flying on a train, shot by a cannon. That movie is still and compelling to this day. A dragon with a bunch of guys, you know, moving it around. Like, yeah, all that stuff is so hands-on and handmade that it's yeah, it's gonna be fun, even though you don't know any of this. They, they know, look like they look like Michelle stuff. Gondry movies to this day. Mm-hmm. They're very clever mm. and creative, and 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 if you can find one decently restored, they're on YouTube. They're they back when public oh, yeah. domain worked um, before Disney ruined it. All of Millier's movies are out there, but I just can't say enough nice things. I, if you like this show at all, this has to appeal to you. It is about talking about films for decades after they people think they're gone, or in this case, melt down the celluloid to make high heeled shoes because yeah. that's how poorly films were preserved. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, they were disposable. Like. And, and, I saw that already. Why would I ever want to watch that again? Yeah. 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 And this this one professor film nerd, like it's this, my favorite thing ever, my star Wars of in the 1930s. This movie is so fucking good for movie lovers and is made for adult movie lovers. It's marketed like a children's movie. I'm telling you now it is not your kids will hate it. They will hate you for making them watch it. Maybe like a, except for the cool ones. Yeah. I would, I would say like there's, there's probably some like, (laughs) An 11-year-old girl will know what's up. I would hate my parents for making me watch this up until I'm about 13 and maybe even 17. But I love this. This is one of my biggest recommends of the week. And again, I preface this with saying I didn't know it bombed because I didn't know it was $180 million. Ooh. And you can sort of see wow. it. Wow. Even without yeah, the 3D, you can see it. Yeah, there are a lot of effects. God damn. It's it's a wonderful, and I think an even better love letter to films than The Artist because it's I don't know. It's this is an interesting story in in the history of film anyway. That is Yeah, that's true. It is just an interesting story about like how could someone this important to a medium be forgotten? It's like Shakespeare being some obscure ass guy that we've never heard of. But yeah. oh, but he was real popular in his day. Uh, but it turns out he lives amongst you and he fixes fixes your vacuums. <laughs> like <laughs> this really happened and uh and it's Trojan horsed in by this Hugo thing. No offense yeah, to Aza Butterfield, great, great in this film. Just really yeah, good. It's really good. Yeah, everyone's really good. It's it's just, yeah, I don't know why I was expecting it to just not sit as well with me the second time around. Of just like, it's charming, whatever, but the warts will show this time. And it's like, nope, nope. charm me. God damn it. I watched it. I watched it three or four times, but it has been about nine to eight years. I can't wait to watch this again. I can't wait to, I couldn't wait to be here to recommend this to people because it just kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, and it, but it's yeah all- exactly. Critics loved it. It got a ton of Oscar nominations. It won 
best visual effects over like real steel. Yeah. And Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows 2, and I think a Transformers movie. Yeah. Just like that's insane. It looks huh. it looks astonishing. Every frame of it is amazing. It's a little long, but like I don't know what you would cut out necessarily because things move pretty fast. The pacing is good as well. It's on it's a Paramount movie that's not on Paramount Plus. It's for some reason on Netflix, so someone over there loves it. Yeah. Uh, it is snowy and cold and wonderfully Christmassy. Do not miss out on this movie. I I feel like getting upset now. I, I, I love this film. And Sarah has been silent, and I'm worried about why. Oh, she oh, didn't watch it. I just it. haven't seen it, and I, but <laughs> okay. I, know what it's, I know what it's about, and I knew it was about old-timey filmy, Wilmy Okay, stuff. so you so knew I, I was going to drool. I just want to get out of the way for y'all. y'all just, <laughs> there's nothing I could add, honestly. I, I'm, I'm a little curious. I, literally, what kept I you from watching it? every single word you could possibly say about this movie. <laughs> what, what, kept you, what kept you from watching it, though? Um, At the time or now? It looks like a kid's movie that I just was like, okay, mm. old-timey kid's movie sort of thing. Mm. It feels like a Christmas movie. And so, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I think it's because my parents never turned the heat on when I was little. So the second <laughs> it got cold here and I started turning the heat on and I see snow in a film, it feels like Christmas. And I, 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 yeah. I love having heat on. Turn the heat up. Watch this fucking movie. It, it, it's... It's great. I'm going to make this a Christmas tradition for me, watching Hugo. Uh, Sarah, you will love this movie. And I, I think Scorsese, kids movie, that says like two different things. And, and maybe <laughs> things that don't appeal to someone, like maybe even Sarah. It's neither of those. It really is. <laughs> it's, it doesn't yeah, have the pacing I mean, of a like, Goodfellas. It's not a... It, I like kids movies. Mm-hmm. I obviously like Scorsese. There's a little bit of this... <laughs> I think this movie kind of, like, when it came out, I kind of was like, okay, this is going to be, like, the equivalent of watching, like, a little kid play with, like, the hoop and the stick, you yes. know? Like- <laughs> yes, this, this, is going, this is going to be a Wes Anderson montage. No, like- I like Wes Anderson. I, I, it's, like, basically, like, I, I, the vibe that I thought that I was going to have from this movie was, like, Martin Scorsese, he's an old man. He thinks Fran Lebowitz is hilarious. Like, uh, that sort of situation. You didn't know that then. <laughs> I know that, but you know what I'm saying. I know, just kidding. Uh, oh my God, I'm sorry. I haven't watched it yet. No, 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 no. I just, I, I, I have never been like, wanted to watch, like, watch a movie again so bad than after okay. watching this after we'll a long absence because I bought it a long time ago come over we will watch it hell yeah Thanks. and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt down a, a 3d blu-ray just to make sure I have it because like I wasn't the only one in the theaters that like you could hear gas because the whole movie they show you Millier's movies and they're flat you see 3d characters watching a flat movie and that giant presentation at the end those movies pop out in 3d like the past being rent a hundred and 10 years in the past being rendered with the greatest film technology we have at the time and then portrayed in three dimensions. It's like, it's the greatest thing 3d has ever done on film. And I'm really pissed that there's not a great way to preserve that right now. And if you, anybody knows how to, to how I can watch that without having to buy, you'd have to buy a 3d Blu-ray player and a 3d television. That's a fucking antique at this point. Okay. Let me just tell you this, what? my dude, that I feel like we're venturing into the area where you are hyping it up so much that now people are going to watch it and be like, just, okay, my mind's not blown. Do what we always so, do. You, know, <laughs> think, you may be hyping it too hard right now, honestly. Yeah. You may want to let people discover Fuck it. that all, shit. That's all I'm saying. No, you're talking about yourself and you're just, like, you're just going to look at your phone the whole time and go to bed early. And... <laughs> 
That was Das Boot. What time? And it was after I got my COVID shot. Shot, and I was very tired and sick. <laughs> uh, I I love this film, and I I just I forgot about it too, and that's why I'm mad yeah. at myself. It's one of two movies this week that are like about loving movies, about loving things. Yeah, and, that is a it. It is weird how well these things go together. They do. True. Truly. Yeah. I I knew when I saw this lineup, it's like, well, plan out what you want to say now because Chris is going to go. I'm for sorry. A while. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to talk that <laughs> long. Okay. I know. I guess I've talked for like 20 minutes about this film, it's, but I really did like it. It's a good thing to be an enthusiast about a thing. But sometimes like, I worry when I hype something up too much, then someone mm. watches it and they're like, mm. I they think can never live up to fight. Let yeah. me explain to you the benefits of mansplaining. I'll I'll, <sighs> I'll I'll try and go light on this this one because like uh, okay, I hopefully you I both might go heavy question. because the the next movie is I'm kind of curious who it's for because yeah. I feel like it's for a much older audience than yep. who's actually going to show up because I... I feel like it's for old ass people like me who remember Sunday nights at like seven seven thirty on CBS you know. That's a, playing the music and lighting the lights do you re- because it was time to meet the Muppets. I was one when this show was off the air, so I don't have this memory. I have this memory, yeah. We are talking about From the Grave, first Muppet movie in 10 years. Over yeah. 10 years, 20 years? More, 12? Uh, I mean, there was yeah. some, there's some there's several made-for-TV Muppet movies. Yeah, but they blow. They Sorry, Brandy, <laughs> they blow. Rashida Jones, Chris Cooper, Amy Adams, and uh, starring and written by J- Jason Siegel from the guy who brought you Flight of the Concords, The Muppets, 2011. Okay, let's go! Ah! Wow. I can't believe we're all back together. Yeah! Sorry. I was super excited. The Muppets have always been about artistic integrity, not cheap tricks. Check it out. Fart shoes. This is going to be a really short movie. Maybe Diana can... Did we see this movie together? I don't know. I think I we think did. So. I, no, if we did, if we, because I remember Brett took me aside. He's like, look, man, I organize all the Marvel... Let's go see the Marvel movies together, which we always did. Like a big group of 10 to 20 of us would go see opening night he's like this is your thing and you need to organize the facebook event i'm not doing it and i went out of my way to like get as many friends as i could to go see the first muppet movie the first significant thing disney had done with the muppets having owned them for i think like four years at this point and we're just at least trying to find the right property they're doing some good things with them in the parks it just sucks this is in, in hindsight tr- look, you know what i don't trust disney with the muppets me neither it, me neither because it, it, it no. cost wise it, do- it doesn't make are- sense saltier and edgier than disney this is but this is Mm. this is still edgy it's just that like i would think i think marvel buys or or disney buys marvel this year or the previous year Mm. but avengers isn't out yet and once avengers comes out they don't give a shit about the muppets how much can we do with these things Fozzie's not going to get his own solo film series fuck this And, and they got diminished after that but this was such a grand not only a grand return it's like Hugo, in that it is, it is for people who are already a fan. The movie stars a fan of the Muppets. The yeah, movie the stars press, you. Yep. The press surrounding this movie was crazy. Like yeah. I remember it so vividly. Jason Segel was on this insane press tour where all he did was talk about the Muppets, how much the Muppets meant to him. I mean, you would think that the Muppets saved his parents from like a fiery car crash. Did, like that's <laughs> how. Did you see the end? Do you, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember Sarah? The forgetting Sarah Marshall. The end. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. 
I mean, I, it's not like I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely <laughs> believed, you know, what he was saying because yes, it was a part of forgetting Sarah Marshall, of course, and he seems very genuine about it. But the press, they really wanted to make sure that we knew that they had put the Muppets in the hands of someone who really loved the Muppets, which, you know, mm-hmm. I think that was like a, a good idea to do. But at some point it's kind of like, all right, but, you know, just show us the movie. And, uh, but yeah, I, I have but, to wonder yeah, if so, what they did to Jason Siegel to never. I thought there was plenty of moments for him, him to cameo in the second film after mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. this one, and mm-hmm. doesn't and has never talked about it again. So I have to feel like Disney did something. The process mm-hmm. really soured him on the on the Muppets, and I I hate to think that. No, yeah. So yeah, so the story is Jason Siegel and his brother Walter, who is Muppet are huge Muppet fans and they think the Muppets are the biggest fucking thing in the world. They grew up watching the Muppet show, the same one we all saw. Yeah. And they go to Hollywood and find out like, Oh, no one gives a shit about the Muppets. Their studio is a piece of shit. And the bottom of their contract says that oil man, Chris Cooper can take it over anytime, which just means Orson Welles fucked them at the end of that first movie. God damn it. Orson Welles. And that's shot Bad contract. It's shot at their real studio, by the way, which is Charlie Chaplin's old studio. Jim Henson Damn. bought that from uh, Charlie Chaplin's estate. Wow. Uh, so, I, oh. yeah. So, e- evil Chris Cooper is going to uh, trash laugh. the place. And he, maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. <laughs> and so, they decide, oh, let's get all the Muppets together and then we'll have a telethon and they can, you know, put on a show and save the, the studio. It's so strange because, like, I really feel like it's aimed at people who were in their 30s at least at this point because it treats the Muppet show and like maybe the first three movies is canon mm-hmm. and then pretends nothing else happened. Not, <laughs> not no Muppet things happened after 1983. Not can- it's super bizarre because it treats the Muppet movies like things in that universe you've seen, not mm-hmm. that they've happened in the movie. They talk about them like they're movies. Piggy and Kermit are married at the end of the movie of uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, but they've never actually right. been married. Right. Because otherwise, this movie would be showing us a divorce, and Disney would never do that. Yeah, it's a little confusing of what is in-universe media and what isn't. Sorry, my dog's all mad again. Yeah, we're talking about Um, the Muppets. And... It's like there's not enough dogs. Rolf just pops up at the end. What the heck? <laughs> that is the fir- um, that is the first time officially in a film Ralph has been voiced since Jim Henson's death. They kind of retired him yeah. from being voiced yeah, for a very long he was, time. He's the first. Yeah. Isn't he the first. Well, Kermit, Kermit was for he was the first famous Muppet thanks to the yeah. Jimmy Dean uh, sausage show. I'm boring nice. everyone. So yeah. So but then it's all about yeah getting the band back together and dealing with them having moved on with their lives in strange ways. So. You know, it's kind of there's some Muppets Take Manhattan feeling there about them having splitting up and then coming back together. But it's also a musical. It's also I have one really dumb nitpicky complaint okay. about this movie. And I'm just going to throw Go it in it. right here because it is a, a musical with really fun songs. Mm-hmm. And then there's a musical number done to an unoriginal song. We built this city by Starship. I love that, and I show. don't understand why they're using that when that should be a new song. I said it should. The, the, well, you know, Paul Williams wasn't dead. I don't get it, but like Paul Williams yeah. was the quintessential Muppet film songwriter up until whoever wrote the Muppet Christmas Carol stuff, which I'm not as big a fan of. Yeah, and, or even just like putting it together by Sondheim. So something that's a little more thematic, because the whole point is like they. It seems like a lot of them they haven't really moved on from the seventies. I like love they don't. 80s robot. Oh. <laughs> they don't really understand that things have moved on like they're trying to get you know comment from president carter and stuff yeah um, yet they they do a cover of CeeLo's fuck you with chickens which i think is just one of the most brilliant things done in a disney movie 
and and would and that be cluck you? Uh, yeah, no, just the chickens. <laughs> I know. I'm saying it should be called cluck. And uh, and then and then Amy Adams sings a song about being alone, having a me party, which is one of the better songs about masturbation I've ever heard in my life. Mm. Having. <laughs> I'm going to have a giant me party tonight. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why? Am we... She can sing about it all she wants, and you don't wince at all. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's, like, my one giant complaint. It's like, that number bugs me. That should be a. It should be another song from Brit McKenzie. Brit from Flight of the Concords, who wins an Oscar for wins Man or a Muppet. Wins a motherfucking Oscar. And awesome. I, I remember being in the theater. Was How I Met Your Mother on the same channel mm-hmm. in time as Big Bang Theory? I think it might have been. Shoot, actually, because I know. Well, so How I Met Your Mother was CBS. Then so was Big Bang, Theory, Big Bang Theory was CBS. Yes, okay. You're probably yes. watching on your fancy DVDs. I know I'm talking out of millennials now, despite being one. But when Jim P- Parsons appeared on screen in a wonderful cameo <laughs> in the Oscar-winning song, the audience went fucking nuts. And I, I was mm. watching it, and I'm just like, yeah, I guess. It, it's weird to have Jason Siegel sitting across from Jim Parsons playing the piano. It'd be sort of like Tim Allen and Bob Saget in my day appearing in a movie, like having a cameo yeah. together. Yeah. You're mixing up, you know, your Thursday night together unexpectedly. Yeah. And obviously, because it's the Muppet movie, we've got to have a whole bunch of cameos that were fun. You know, Jack Black gets kidnapped horribly <laughs> um, and it's tied up and abused. Alan Arkin, Ken Jong shows up, Donald Glover Sarah shows Silverman, up, Donald Silverman Glover. Shows up. Christian uh, Shaw, my Zach fa- Alphanakis is Hobo Joe. My favorite stat, <laughs> there is I again. believe I read about this with Mickey Rooney in this movie. He was in a movie every decade for 10 consecutive decades. Uh, wow. Yeah, 10 consecutive decades. Uh, he, he would die in a few months, but like, uh, yeah, he was a, a child star, and then he's in this movie at nearly 100. So. <laughs> Whoa. That's wild. I went into a weird rabbit hole because they were focusing so much on the Muppet show. Yes. I went into to find out, all right, guests of the Muppet show, are there more living or dead? Yeah. Oh, no. Don't do this, Diana. Don't do this to yourself. Mm, yeah, okay. I, I have an answer for you. Oh, no. I'm going to say there, as of today... I'm going to say there are more living by a squeaky, like tiny amount. I, I looked in, okay. I looked into a technology has gotten better over time. There's a character sure. in this movie who has a major role as a Muppet and he may not have been seen since he was in the Muppet show episode with Vincent Price. <laughs> so oh. that is how old the Muppets are. <laughs> yeah. You are incorrect. As Damn. of right now, uh, like 65 guests Woo. are dead and like 55 are alive. Oh, yeah. thank you, Steve Martin. But at, oh. in 2011, it was pretty much the same. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, wow. yeah, it would have been fun if like one of them popped up of just like, so. I mean, yeah, as someone like, I know it's harder to get Steve Martin or Bernadette Peters or something. Yeah, somebody, Rita Moreno. Well, there's, there's, only, there's only, there's one that cameo I don't like and he has no speech. And it is in a, it's after a great line of Neil Patrick Harris on the telephone phone line. Like, yeah, I don't know why I'm not hosting this. And then right <laughs> b- right behind him is human gargoyle, James Carville. I'm like, man, really? Like, <laughs> the raging Cajun. Yeah. Why, like, I, sh- I would have been better served being in this movie than him. Fuck that guy. You know Where is Lola Falana? <laughs> <laughs> Every time James Carville pops up in something, I'm like, right, you're still kicking around here Mm-mm. okay james carville no way and that's yeah. uh, next to a silent yeah. john krasinski <laughs> totally silent uh this yeah. movie is great so i'm 
Yeah, I mean, this movie is an awful lot of fun as definitely a reintroduction to the Muppets mm-hmm. and explaining the Muppets. It's just so strange that they're like the whole premise of the movie is Muppets used to be a thing, but now they're not. And I'm curious how people who've shown this to younger kids, how does that go over? They just go like, oh, yeah, no, the Muppets are like an old I, thing, but now they're back. I asked that question a lot to my friends with kids at the time. Because I was curious, like, what would your consciousness be of the Muppets? I was, I was b- barely a zygote when the Muppet Show was done, but I grew up watching it in reruns, Fraggle Rock, Muppet Family Christmas. I had no shortage of Muppet entertainment. I was alive for ten years while Jim Henson was still alive. I, I have plenty of Muppet content. Weirdly, I think they said it was it was merchandise through pop culture mm-hmm. osmosis. Like all kids know who all these characters are. They're always kind of curious. I think you know my boss said if she sees a, a Muppet character, she's like. Who the- who the fuck is that? I'm a kid, and that looks appealing. Who the fuck is that? And oh, that's that's Gonzo. I'm like, where's Gonzo from? I got. I'm a kid. Tell me everything. <laughs> Where can I see Gonzo? So kids are curious on that level, but they're not watching it every day. And the Muppet, yeah. the Muppet Show is a harder. Even as as a little kid my age, it is a fucking seventies variety. It is a seventies yep. TV show that's a throwback to a sixties format. It's a weird watch. Which which uh, no, it's a throwback to vaudeville yeah it's it's okay the format of the muppet show is not even what was then modern variety shows like uh, sunny and share it mm. is expressly a throwback to vaudeville they are at a live stage with a live audience the, the kind of numbers that they're putting on are often very vaudeville yeah yeah it's so weird to be like you know what kids love british music hall and leo sayer <laughs> leo but sayer's still alive he should have been in this movie none of my um impressions or feelings about the Muppets come from the Muppet show at all. It all is and that, Sesame I, I, Street. Common. Exposure yep. through Sesame Street and then merchandise and the movies, you know, uh, Christmas Carol, Treasure Island. And oh, the also, later crappy ones. And also a very important book to my growing up, A. Monster at the end of this book? Yes, there's a monster at the end of this book. And B, also yeah. two, Miss Piggy's Guide to Etiquette. <laughs> Which, by the way, I am searching for. I must reattain that book. So, if anyone it down for potential that, Sarah, because yes. that's very important that to me that you have that book. No, honestly, you remind me there is a the the big cameo that was planned was Elmo to pop up in the film. Working not working with Chris Cooper, but like a really funny one second cameo, and like, and I keep reading about it, like it fell through the lawyers kiboshed it, and like that's why this sucks. That's why the, the situation with Henson sucks. He was too nice and. You can't get Elmo to appear in a Muppet movie? What the fuck? Who the fuck is standing in the way of that happening? That's so stupid. It's like, so why? Dumb. It's so Ugh. dumb. Kermit was in the Soulless. Big Bird's movie. Big Bird was in the Muppet uh, Muppet movie. It doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, the, that was, it was written that way. It's also written for Alan Rickman to be Tex Richman. <laughs> but he's, he and Jerry Nelson are two, part of those two sad stories. People we didn't know were as sick as they were. Mm. Mm. couldn't do the movie um ah. but this this that's this, this, a say well at least i got to see chris Cooper rap could you I imagine alan expected. rickman rapping oh that would have been really good i shouldn't talk anymore about this i just think it's it's great if you're a muppet fan in it not unlike hugo there is a slice of nostalgia i forget how i remember this being criticized as how everything is fan fiction now it's not enough for a movie to be about the Muppets coming back, it is a guy writing a movie about him bringing the Muppets back <laughs> in, oh, his, in his world and exactly how he wants it. I thought the movie had the title of the cheapest Muppets movie ever made, which I think is a much better title than The Muppets, which you have to search for with the tag 2011 or you won't find this movie immediately. Yep, I hate that. 
Um, you can't go the Muppets movie because then you're going to get the first one. I want, I'm trying to rattle off my notes. I have several action figure wishes. I want Muppet Man as an action figure with Scooter's two arms for one arm. I want the Muppets, the thug <laughs> Reno oh, the Muppet, the Muppets. so good. <laughs> the Muppets. Yeah. The gray Kermit the Frog. <laughs> yeah, the off-brand Muppets for the Reno show. Yeah, And, and what I really <laughs> am, am sad about, this was a huge, huge success. I bought a ton of Muppet merchandise that hadn't been in Targets or Disney stores in years. And I thought this was a harbinger of things to come. And they put out one more Muppet movie, and then it's kind of over. And Disney's kind of bored with the Muppets. That's a real big bummer. Because the next movie might be even better than this one. And most people have not seen it. It is just, yeah. it's visually, we're going to go on a cross-tour journey of uh, Germany and Europe, and it's going to look gray and dull the entire time. <laughs> Spend most of the movie in a gulag. Yay! Um <laughs> And it just doesn't seem like an appealing kids movie. It's an appealing adults movie. But I, I, again, that's why I recommend it. But this this movie is fantastic. It's deserving of its Oscar, the money it made. And I think without this movie, Di my prediction is that Disney will sell the Muppets. I hope so. They will sell the Muppets back to their creators because they don't know what to do with them. I, I think they're, they're one of the purest force, forces of entertainment in my universe. It, I feel like it's more my, some of it's my parents' nostalgia, some of it's mine, but the Muppets have always been there for me. And I'm, I was really glad to see them exist in such a sincere and authentic way this far after Jim Henson's death and this this many years after a corporate acquisition I just kind of hope they go home soon uh, I think this it's been long enough and Disney has done what with them one Disney plus special in six episodes yeah. and if you go to Disney World three times a day they'll describe to you the Declaration of Independence and that's about it like compared to they got Marvel and Star Wars. You don't care about this. Let other people yeah. play with it. Television of 2011, November 19th to the 25th. Saturday Night Live, Jason Siegel, and musical guest Florence and the Machine. Just an all-around great episode. If you've got Jason Siegel, I mean, he's pretty awesome comedically. And I pulled a little bit of a really great sketch, The Blue Jean Committee, which <gasps> if you watch documentary now, like, yes! that must have been where this started. And it's just such a fun, like, sweet, like, folk takeoff, basically, of, like, a, a really great, like, local folk band playing in like a Massachusetts bar and I just played a little bit of it and as I was watching I was thinking this is one of those sketches on SNL that comes up every now and then where it is not laugh out loud funny but it just is delightful you know <laughs> you're just watching delightful people having fun together you know uh people say I'm a gifted lyricist I don't know about that but uh tell me what you think you know when you're driving to town and you make that second right turn onto Locust Street You've never seen so many pretty pretty girls walking down the boulevard But the prettiest of them all without a shadow of a doubt is a six foot tall beauty named Lucia She's got them big hazel eyes that make the boys go crazy like This boy right here kept his cool in the heat of the moment When he opened the door for her and she stepped into Mikey's bowling lanes You've never seen so much chivalry, one broke-ass Northampton city kid And I'm talking about Massachusetts afternoon <laughs> Hanging out on the porch Drinking cinnamon beer with you All right. There is so many funny cutaways to white people just jamming their hearts yes. out Yes. In this video, fuck me, the it's blue just a jean committee. Little fun video. And Paul Rudd popping up for no reason. Paul Rudd just <laughs> putting his doing douchebag face 
which is one of my favorite Paul Rudd faces. Oh, is uh, sexiest, man, sexiest alive, man alive, Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, but he, but in Wet Hot American Summer, in the last episode of Strangers with Candy, he, he does make that douchebag face. Like, uh, I can't do it, but I just I saw. I can't it. do it either. Amy Sedaris just posted a video of it, and I'm like, yeah, I, I miss that character Paul Rudd used to do when he was air quotes young, mid twenties. Uh, who yeah. could forget? <laughs> and then, if you're a Charlie Brown fan, a fairly significant thing has happened. I think. Even there might have been a couple of Charlie Brown things that have aired after the death of Charles Schultz, but they were all based on his work. And I believe one of the first newly written things since the death of mm-hmm. Charles Schultz, hmm. 10 or so years ago, that had a significant marketing campaign. It had a, a Jason book. Happiness is a warm blanket. Charlie Brown comes out on television. But sometimes growing up. I need my blanket. I admit it. Means standing up for what makes you happy. If I were you, I would be afraid of what the other kids would say about that blanket. Do you have anything in your pocket you can throw into the air? They don't say much. They were really careful with what they did with Charlie Brown after Charles Schultz. Because if you've never seen one of those comic documentaries, he was a lot of people criticize him for the work he did on television and insurance. But he's like, he always wrote those and he always drew those. And he took great pride in that. Wrote the movies, wrote the specials, wrote the... TV commercial. So once he was gone, people were careful. Love this happiness is a warm blanket because it's about Linus being pressured into giving up his blanket. That is his comfort. And a lot of people, I just think it's such an interesting idea. So many people, so many children have grown up with blankies, loveies, their comfort items. And there's such a pressure when you grow up to let go of those things and to, because you don't need them anymore. You shouldn't need them anymore. And I find that we are coming into a new place right now with letting go of that idea that older children and teenagers, even adults shouldn't have comfort items that give them comfort to touch. That should not be a thing anymore. Are you avoiding the term security blanket, which Linus coined? I mean, yeah, actually I'm (laughs) avoiding the term blankie. Someone missed their whoopee. No, I Blanky don't also, that at all, I, I actually, think, because it never left me. Blanky could be a pretty cool slur for uh, against white people, so I want to point that out to our friends of color. Uh, start throwing that around. That one's <laughs> open. Yeah, take it. <laughs> Fucking blankies. <laughs> and then we also have what? Um, did, did a Tyler Perry show just end last week? Yes, we had Tyler right Perry's next. Meet the Browns ended last week. And now, for better or for worse, which is a spinoff of Why Did I Get Married and Why Did I Get Married 2. Mm-hmm. Now that starts. And mm-hmm. it's going to run six seasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a promo. The man's a money printing machine. For that. This is Angela. Love ya. Love you back. He's married to. Marcus! His ex is Keisha. You're a trashy hoe. Who's dating Richard. I didn't know what Keisha was Keisha. Who's in business with Joseph. We cannot. Okay, okay. Indistinguishable Tyler Perry property. I've tried with these things. I just can't get it. All these besuited Christian people and their stupid problems. But one of them is Michael Jai White, so maybe he'll get hit in the head and turn into black dynamite and start fucking <laughs> up to dudes. Always hope. Uh, video games of 2011. It is obviously a big week. This is one of the biggest weeks for games. I don't want to read off any of this stuff because it's going to take me WWE All-Stars. Um, I believe this is the last thing Macho Man Randy Savage ever recorded anything for before his death. He did oh. a promo. Went back into WWE f- to work on this thing. Ports of Sonic Generation. Uh, Serious Sam 3 is out. A fucking great game people forget about. WWE 12 is out. And Batman Arkham City. The Ooh. GTA meets Batman. Arkham Asylum was a kind of a detective caper inside one place. And this was 
moved it into an entire city of Gotham, and it was very, very big and very, very strange, and I'm very tempted to load it up. Damn smell. it, dog. I know. Steve's like, tell him about Arkham Knight. No. I, that was the third one. It's not out yet, Steve. He's anxious for me to talk about Legend of Zelda The Skyward Sword, a game I still blame for giving me nerve damage. It required <laughs> so much Wii motion, it was difficult to port. Nintendo found a way earlier this year, and without a Wii remote, it turns out the game is just terrible. It's one of the worst Zelda games I've ever played, and I'll tell you more about it on Patreon.com slash LazerTime, because I have no problem talking shit about this game. It is based. It takes one of Nintendo's most stellar, excellent franchises and wraps it around a gimmick and it is all the worse for it. Fuck my stamina lime. I never want to play this game again. Yeah, Vigium Apocalypse boys will join me for that. Vigium Apocalypse every Friday. Me, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Rapars and Maddie Allen and usually a special guest. Di, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Coming up next week, uh, we got some animated Christmas stuff. No big surprise there, because it's that time of year. But also, we've got Owen Wilson getting shot down behind enemy lines. And one of the best documentaries about the making of a film ever oh. from Eleanor Coppola. Oh. And also a movie that traumatized an entire generation when it comes to bee stings and their level <sighs> of fatality. Also on Netflix. I just almost kicked it on today. Also, Ooh. Michael Fassbender's dick. Hey! Hey! <laughs> Or is it just a cigar? Sometimes it's just a cigar. <laughs> I almost understood that nice. reference. Okay, die. Uh, who, who died during this period? Oh, man. Well, in 2001, we lost Mary Kay Ash. That's the founder of Mary Kay Cosmetics, who is 83. In 2011, we lost John Neville, who is 86. That's Baron Munchausen from the movie <gasps> that anyone who's seen Baron Munchausen Beautiful knows. movie. We also lost Anne McCaffrey, who is 85, who wrote the Dragon Riders of Pern series. <gasps> and Svetlana Ailuleva-Peters. Joseph Stalin's only daughter, who is 85. Wow. She Ooh. has a strange history. Like, she moved to the U.S., but then said, like, oh, my father was bad. Oh, actually, he wasn't. Oh, yes, he was. No, he wasn't. Shut uh, up. Please have me on the Dick Cavett show more. are complicated. Very complicated. Uh, and with that out of the way, we got to figure out who was born during this week, uh, this week's period of 302010. Diana, who was bu- 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 born? Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo. A ding-dong doodly-doo. Ding-dong doo. Oh, Turning 60, 60 years old, born November 19th, 1961 in Fairfield, Connecticut. She studied journalism at NYU and started modeling. She got a gig on As the World Turns while she was still in school and made her film debut. My mind is blown as a classic film nerd. She made her film debut in 1981 in Rich and Famous, the last film directed by George Cukor. Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind guy. Well, he worked on, uh, he's a guy like... You know, huge in the 30s and 40s. If you look at his Wikipedia page and it's like later work starts in like 1958. We're talking about a movie from 1981. Films of hers. Actually, you know what? Let me skip to this. We just Because you just talked about uh, How I Met Your Mother. She voiced the mom on Greta Gerwig's pilot for How I Met Your Dad. But oh. CBS passed on it. Mary Steenburgen. No. I feel like we've had it before, actually. Maybe. Goldie Hawk. No. Okay. Movies of hers, we have talked about Armed and Dangerous, Promised Land, DOA. Meg Ryan. And the- it's Meg Ryan. Yay! Yay! I got it from Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Dang, 60. 60. 60. Also, The Presidio, Top Gun, The Women, The Doors, Hanging Up, Joe vs. the Volcano, Proof of Life, Interspace, and When Harry Met Sally. She has not made a movie since 2008. Wow. Yeah, she, she effectively retired, I guess. Basically retired. She directed something yeah. a little bit here and there is directing some tv sons and the boys it's good mm-hmm. enough for me 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of like, yeah, I'm done. It's a less cute version shit. of her. It's good, good to see. Good for her. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. To retire. Who who could think? Especially at 60. Yeah. 30, 2010. Uh, tell a friend about the show. Visit the site. Drop a comment. I'm really curious to what all you think. I know I've talked a lot this episode, and I hate having to be the one who does most of the plugs, because I'm sure you're tired of hearing me, but it's a really fun episode for me. I'm sorry. I had a really rough week, and this sort of brought me out of it. So if yeah. I could do that for any of yeah. you, happy. I'm a happy boy. Watch you go. That's all I ask you. Patreon.com slash laser time and watch you go. All right. But... We have a really tough call on what we should go out with because we have not for me. an embarrassment of riches. We have Adam's Groove from Adam's Family. We have multiple songs from Beauty and the Beast, which are wonderful. Belle, Gaston, title song, Be Our Guest. Or we have a couple songs from The Muppets, particularly Manor Muppet, which is wonderful. It's not even the best my, song on that soundtrack. Oh, my God. My vote's for Belle. Beauty and the Beast. Well, I can't help Look, you. there she goes. Mine was Adam's Groove, but in order for me to get out, out of here and on to the next show, I'll say Beauty and the Beast, whatever Sarah said. All right. <laughs> Doing Belle? Yes. Sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's go out with that. See you next week.